Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Cast Ice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. Now, you, if you have listened to the show, will know the spiel about there being a gaming renaissance going on, that there are so many good games that we can be spending our hobby do- time and our hobby dollars on. And you've heard it, and you've heard about how the guests that I have on the show, uh, we, we talk about the games that we're playing, industry events, and all the great things that are happening in gaming. Well, that's not this show. This is still Cast Dice, but this is one of those weird one-off episodes. Now, you will remember, oh, maybe four months ago, I had a fine gentleman on this show, and we talked about James Bond. Uh, specifically, we talked about the movie Never Say Never Again. And I got a ton of fantastic feedback about that episode. And I was asked by many people, are you going to do more of those? And I said, yes. And then I didn't. Um, there have just been too many good things happening in gaming to, to really take a break and talk about other things. Uh, that said, I could not let uh, this school holiday end without having my good friend back on, a man whose shows I listen to all the time. One of the most, literally one of the most prolific podcasters I think I've ever heard of. And a wonderfully funny and nice guy to boot, I might add. And a very talented artist. Of course, I'm talking about Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist. Welcome back to Cast Ice. Well, I tell you, I'm talking to anybody out there who's listening. When Bradford called me up and put my back against the wall and said, Hey, buddy, have you been doing your thing? Have you paid your dues to be on my show? I looked him right in the eye and I said, Yeah, man, I paid my dues. Checks in the mail. That's Good it. Good to be here. Oh, my, <laughs> yes. my favorite part of that quote is, of course, where that uh, wild-eyed psycho puts the back of my favorite head against the back wall. Uh, yeah, that's like, yes. So if I you, didn't call you a wild-eyed psycho in that, but, you know, it was implied. Yeah, exactly. well, yeah. there's a little bit of inferring going on there. If you haven't gotten uh, by the wonderful introduction there, uh, we are talking about a fan-favorite movie. Uh, I guess you could call it a cult classic because it bombed in the cinemas. But it did. It did. But before we get to that, um, we do have a couple of housekeeping issues. Uh, one, of course... Jared, as I said, is on a million different podcasts, and God, man, I'm just going to hand over to you. Please tell us where we can find you, because I just basically subscribe to everything your name's attached to, and it just keeps automatically coming up to my phone, and I keep listening, and you've got an awesome new show with your brother. Yes, I do. I'll give you the quick rundown. It's not as much as you might think. The easiest thing to do, folks, is to go and subscribe to just two channels. One is the Long Box Crusade, oh, yeah. found by my buddy Pat Sampson. I'm on there with my brother Jason and my best friend for life, Delvin the Dark Web Williams. The Long Box Crusade umbrella will get you standard Long Box Crusade episodes. It'll give you our very regular Crusader Chronicles. It'll give you our very regular Saturday matinee theater. You'll get our bonus episodes, and you'll get what Brad alluded to, action film face-off, yes. where Jason and I pit two random action movies against one another in our video dome arena to see which one will be crowned a champion. So that's all under Longbox Crusade, and we've got a bunch of fun stuff happening over there. Oh, I forgot to mention we have Transformers Chronicles, if you're into Marvel's Transformers mm-hmm. comics. That's hosted by Delvin. I'm not on that show, so, you know, 50-50 on whether you want to listen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they just talked about one of my favorite issues of that comic, and I do have quite a few favorites. Number four, Transformers Number are four. dead. 
Yes, that's an icon. I mean, I'm not even a huge Transformers guy, but that's an iconic issue. I know that cover when I see it. Man, that's good stuff. Yeah, so that's man. all over at Longbox Crusade. Now, if you need that James Bond fancy tickled, mm-hmm. then you need to point your catcher over to On Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. Over there, that same Longbox crew does MI6 Rookie Agents. That's a lot of fun because Jace and I, our big-time Bond guys, have been our whole mm-hmm. life. Pat and Delvin hadn't even seen them all. So we're taking them movie by movie through that, get that newcomer's look. So on our Majesty's Secret Podcast, or I also do one with Raymond Benson, the Raymond Benson, the guy who wrote like nine James Bond novels. Right? Yeah. We Yeah, we team up and do a music of Bond show. So there's a lot to offer. But I know I said a lot, but all you got to remember is this. Long Box Crusade, on Her Majesty's Secret Podcast, those are the two places you can find me. And why wouldn't you? Come find me. Let's chat. Exactly. And if uh, if you are, if you want to see what you're drawing, because um, as I mentioned, you're also a talented artist. Uh, if you want to see your projects and not just hear your wonderful voice, where can they find you? Ah, uh, thanks for asking. Uh, you can always check out my art. I've got my sales site. This is where I pimp for money. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> which is theyardsaleartist.bigcartel.com. But if you, you know what? If you want to just kind of browse, you know, you don't want that pressure to go look at things that have price tags on them, just hit me up at any of my social medias, which is at yardsaleartist. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's all at yardsaleartist. You can come check out my drawings, my witticisms, and my overall charm. That's right. That's right. Now, <laughs> last time we had you on, you gave us just a tidbit of some of the things you've been working on. What are some of the things that people can find on your site at the moment? Ooh, uh, lately I've done a couple of, I've a little scatterbrained lately, man. I've done, <laughs> I've done a couple of watercolor pieces. I've done a couple of custom covers. Uh, as you may or may not know, I don't remember if I pimped it last time. I'm the writer of a comic called, oh, yeah. an independent comic called Hamilton versus Burr, Werewolf mm-hmm. Tale. That's available. I'm working on another fun twist on monster in history uh, called Francisco Stein Gunslinger. Uh, that Ooh. I think implies what the story is about. Yes. <laughs> and I've just, uh, I think since last time we talked, I've linked up with a really talented penciler out of Bermuda. God oh, bless wow. the internet. Yeah. And he and I are doing sort of a James Bond riff. Obviously, we don't have a license to the character. So he's James Bond ish. Wink. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And uh, he's going to end up fighting some zombie pirates. So if you can imagine a world where James Bond goes at it with zombie pirates, that, we got that project in the works. So that's kind of what's going on. But, yeah, definitely check out the site. You see, I'm kind of all over the place. I'm, in, I'm inking a few other books, and every once in a while I'll just do some one-off pieces, sketch covers. You never know with me. I'm the yard sale artist. I'm always up to something. That's right, man. Oh, and I mean, it's a bit like um, the way a lot of us attack, you know, painting, you know, armies for uh, toy soldiers. You just go, ah, oh, today I feel like doing this. Today I feel like yeah, doing a lot that. of it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it is like, what are you, what, what are you feeling that day? And man, you've given me a lot of compliments, here and I appreciate it. But those little miniatures you do, do you use like a three D printer? Is that right? Okay, uh, so you're talking about so um, you and I are also huge GI Joe fans, and you do appear yeah, occasionally. Yeah, that's where I was going. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I was going. Yeah, in a GI. So you and I both love the Joe. So if you and I know I send you a lot of my Joe vehicle pictures. Um, so oh, those cool. are 3D printed off of Thingiverse, um, and I have a guy in the states who's able to print in resin. Um, so rather than in the sort of the the choppy PLA material, it's it's really tight, concise printing um when you when it's done in the resin and so um i'm able to get that done for a a really good price and so oh okay um, so they print then they mail it to you and then you paint them that is correct 
Oh, they're so cool, though, man. I love it. Especially since, I mean, the the hardest part of that is because it's a free file, you then need to tell the gentleman who's printing it how big you want it. So it's finding the right scale so everything looks right. Um, But, you know, because nothing seems to scale the same way on any given print. So eventually, you know, but once you have all that set out, it's just taking all the toys of your childhood, all the, you know, it hits me right in the nostalgia, which I love um mm-hmm. and uh yeah just just pulling them out and painting them um i'm I, I as i know you know um i've been working on some gi joe uh bolt action which is the world war ii game that i'm a huge fan of um it's like a tabletop war game for those of you listening and don't know what that is um and it's so <laughs> I, I didn't know but that's all right <laughs> yeah exactly but it, it's taking the the world war ii rules and adapting them adding rules for things like the running boards that were on the back and sides of tons of gi joe vehicles adding things like modern assault weapons adding rules for helicopters for example that you know weren't mainstream in world war ii for example right, right. taking all of that adding those rules to the existing rule set but then making an army list so you can create an army or a force uh, for both G.I. Joe and for Cobra. And once I have those all sorted out, the next step will be the, uh, you know, October Guard. Um, mm. Yeah, right? Now, now, last time I was on, I asked you, is there, you know, is there a BradfordWilliam.BigCartel.com? <laughs> you know, are you, if you're like, no, I don't really sell these things. And I'm like, sell me your Joes. <laughs> yeah. So are you still keeping them to yourself or, or have you started painting and, and selling them off. Oh, I have lots of friends that uh, do paint and then sell off. I typically uh, don't uh, because I am incredibly slow uh, and methodical uh-huh. and uh, I am not nearly as prolific as uh, people like yourself. So not yet, but uh, you know, one of these days we might uh, might have to send something y'all's way and uh, I, I know that I know that Pat wants a sky striker. So uh, <laughs> Jay- Jason definitely wants a sky striker. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. Jason will freak out for that. Um, yeah. Oh, that's cool, man. I Hey, you get you got me wanting to, to play this game, man. I guess I got to go to Australia to play it since you're making your own rules and your own well, uh, there are people who do have G.I. Joe rules out there, and uh, sadly for me, most of them are in the United States. Uh, so i got to take a road trip if we're going to play this. Yes, yes. There's well, no possible way we could play over those internets, right? <laughs> no, no, not yet, although we think we have to figure that out. Well, <laughs> we've been talking for a little while now, and... I think we should probably get to what we're supposed to oh, be. Oh yeah, talking I forgot. About. I took this, took over the show, and started interviewing you. That's <laughs> no, all right. Uh, you know, when two podcasters uh, get together, who are usually the hosts, it does tend to get a little uh, chatty. That's all right. Uh, now, as as Jared clearly pointed out with the great quote at the beginning of this, we are going to be talking about one of our collective favorite movies to watch, uh, fan favorite cult classic just all around amazing 80s action movie big trouble in little china god i love this movie uh it's one of those movies that if especially if you're in the united states and i tend to go back once a year and whenever i'm home i you know flipping through the channels either early in the morning or late at night because of jet lag and without fail i will find this movie on television and when i do (laughs) You better believe I'm watching the rest of it. Uh, do you have that experience as well? I, living in I, the states these days, I you know what I'm an exclusively streaming guy now. I've cut the cable, uh, so I really just kind of go and seek out my entertainment. So I don't have that what's on at two a.m. thing. 
Uh, but I can tell you this, uh, when I did have that, absolutely, that was a movie stopper. Very much in the same vein as my other passion, James Bond. Which, yeah. if you know, you're like me. I know you own that movie. I know you oh, own yeah. Big Trouble. You know, you probably got it on Blu-ray and mm-hmm. DVD and Laserdisc yep. and VHS, Betamax and 8mm film. I don't uh, have it on beta, but yeah, pretty much everything else. And it's funny because you own it. You'll stop and you're watching it. It's the same thing I do with James Bond movies. You stop, you flip channel surf, and you're like, oh, I'm going to watch this. And you're looking over at your shelf. Yeah. And you're like, I could just put it in and not have commercials. <laughs> yeah. But it's something special that this TV station has chosen to air a movie that I love so much. I must pay it respect by completing this journey. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I got to so I, I got to enforce this so they do it again and again yes. and again. Yes. Yeah. No, I so I feel you. I definitely feel the spirit of that. Well, Big Trouble in Little China is of course one of those movies that people tend to love or you know, I think it's People who are married to the people who love this movie who hate it, but <laughs> I don't know if that's your experience as well. No, no, my wife totally digs it too. Ugh. I didn't realize there were people who did not love. It. I figured there's two two categories of people: people who love Big Trouble in Little China, and people who have not seen Big Trouble in Little China. I thought you were going to go with, and those of you who are wrong. Um, but yes, <laughs> no, I just I just figured you haven't seen it if you don't love it. Exactly. Well, <laughs> do you know who didn't see it? A lot of people when it came out, it was Gosh, one of those yes. movies. It cost something like, well, it literally cost $25 million to make mm-hmm. way back when. Uh, and it made $11 million in the U.S. box office. So it was considered the ultimate flop. Um, but that, you know, it's been largely chalked up to the fact that the studio didn't give it a lot of advertising budget. And I think one of the, I mean, and John Carpenter has literally gone out and said since then, that's because they didn't know how to market this movie. And having watched this movie, you can understand why. Yeah, I know. Right? It is, you know, it, I got, I'll got. i just be up front with you. It's one of the best kung fu action adventure comedy horror fantasy films I've ever <laughs> seen. <laughs> right? That was originally <laughs> supposed to be a Western. <laughs> oh. This movie. Oh gosh, but yeah, I was looking at that too. I before we got on, it would look dumb, so I got on IMDb and I was like, okay, yeah, it lost a lot of money, uh, and it came out on like it was like a Fourth of July weekend in yeah. like '86. Mm-hmm. I'm like, how did people? I want to know what else was playing. I didn't go that deep into it. I was like, how did this even get buried? Like, it got it must have gotten buried by something. There was I, some big summer blockbuster that killed this movie. There has to be. I very clearly remember right before this. I, I remember the ad campaign for this movie, and I didn't see it in the cinema. I, I don't know where I was or what happened, but I didn't go to see this movie at the time. But I remember looking at it going, you know, is that a horror movie? Like Because they showed like the big hairy ape monster, and I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure, I don't know, I, I think there was like a James Bond movie. Something else was happening around then, and I didn't get around to watching it. But I remember at the time thinking, is that a horror movie? What What's going on with this? Like, I like, <laughs> I like Kurt Russell. Like, this is great, but how? And I just didn't see it. And it wasn't until, I think, you know, right before I moved to Japan that uh, a friend and I were standing in the local video store uh, before the advent of Blockbuster, and we were just standing there looking around, and it, there it was, and went, well, you know, it isn't rated R, so we can watch it. Um, how about that? And... It blew me away, and I have to say, I've been watching this movie semi-religiously ever since. It's like 
I don't know, uh, what's another movie like it? Army of Darkness, almost, where you just look at it and go, okay, that's weird. What, how, uh, Hudson Hawk, how do you yes. even, right? <laughs> I think, I think that the most direct analogy I can make for such a train wreck of genres is Hudson Hawk. And, you know, again, <laughs> a movie that, that movie. people love and hate. Uh, and you go, okay, I, I get it. it. It's not for everyone. Maybe a little too silly. But I have to say, having rewatched it for this recording, um, it's something that I always put on in the background when I'm painting. I watch it at least once a year. Um, just pull it off the shelf, put it on, love to listen to it. But because I'm often painting Toy Soldiers when I'm watching it, I'm not actually literally watching it. And so sitting down to take notes on this, I literally ended up with 15 <laughs> pages of notes. It's brutal. It, and the, <laughs> it, it, it struck me at, at the, the grace and elegance in which the plot sort of flows and just the freeform chaos of it all is amazing. Um, now, we were joking around before we started recording, and I, I was kind of hoping you could help me uh, structure this, but you're like, nope, I got nothing. No. <laughs> i'll tell you what while you think about it you know you shared your origin story with the film i'll yes, share my origin please. story with big trouble yeah dude i didn't come to this movie until probably 1997 oh wow. I was in yeah i was in college and it was, you know, you, you get to college and you just like, you know, you get your own life and I'm going to rent whatever I want at the video store, mm -hmm. right? So you start just kind of renting stuff, stuff you kind of always thought about and th things that got by you in the past. And I was like, oh, big trouble. And my brother Jason was a big fan. Unfortunately, he couldn't join us tonight. We thought we might get him on the show. Oh. But Jason had some important business stuff to do today. So, uh, but but Jason had talked it up. So I was like, I'll watch this movie. And I put it in, I watched it. And, I, and here's the thing. I must have been busy or sleepy or something because I was like, I, I remember liking it, but I didn't remember much else about it. I didn't watch it again since 97 until about 10 months ago. Holy. Uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. And so I watched it again 10 months ago because I'm taking my son Jordan through this movies of the 80s thing. Mm -hmm. He is loving these 80s movies. So I'm like, you got to see this one. You got to see this one. And I noticed the trend. He loves everything Kurt Russell. So I'm like, okay, Big Trouble's next. So we watch mm -hmm. Big Trouble. And I'm sitting here going, why did I not remember this? This is amazing. This is yeah. incredible. Right? This is blew me away. And then when you put it up to discuss for today's episode, mm -hmm. I, uh, of course, watched it again. And then I watched it one more time because I was like, okay, I've watched it, I guess, a total three times now. And it's such a hodgepodge movie. I still don't have a grip on how it flows. So now I've seen it four times and I still don't have a grip on how it flows. And yeah. I think that's the beauty of the movie. <laughs> yeah. So when we talked before about Never Say Never Again, I had, I think, eight pages of notes. And um, okay. they it were very structured. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. And if you listen to some of the so talk throughs, especially about the Bond movies that you guys do, um, both your show and the the one with the gentleman with the British accent, um, mm, Van Allen oh, show. Yeah. Van Allen. yeah, they um, they, it's it's very easy to go. Well, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, and what are your thoughts on that? This happens, then this happens, and this happens. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? Let's ta yeah, let's talk through that. a couple of <laughs> a couple of scenes, and then we'll go some feedback. This so a, a normal movie. <laughs> I think has a certain number of scenes. I think this has maybe 17 times that. It, it's literally like they John Carpenter just 
belt fed a machine, you know, took a machine gun and just added scenes and then just held down the trigger. And it was just pop, 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 pop. And it just never stops. Uh, And that's part of the appeal to the movie is it is so action packed, but it isn't. You know, some action movies get really boring at times because you're like, okay, I get it. The car chase has been going on for five minutes. Can we move on now? Uh, This is constant action, constant jokes, um, you know, tons of information being thrown at you because they're basically giving you the entire backstory, you know, from China and, you know, the supernatural things, you know, elements are being explained. But it's done in such a ADHD hyper i drank too much coke and now i'm going to try and explain this to you kind of it it's awesome i love yes. it but going yes, through I, a I, conventional talk through forget about it i like to think of this movie as have you ever had like like a really excited just ran in from outside seven-year-old tell you a story of something that just happened <laughs> And then yes. I saw a dog and then it came over and then, and then there was two dogs and then it was, yes. know, it, it feels like that's how they made the movie. And then, you know, there was a Kung Fu fight in an alley and one mm-hmm. guy had two six shooters. Another guy had an AK 47 and then they started fighting and lightning guys showed up and then <laughs> it was like, what? Yes. what? <laughs> or as my wife would say, anytime I've come home and I've done something exciting that day, it's literally that my poor, <laughs> my poor wife has to deal with that all the time. As an adult with ADHD, you go, I'm really sorry. I'm really excited right now. Bah, 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 bah. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's how they made this movie. Yeah. But in the most wonderful way. Right. Not in a negative way. Yeah. And so there are some trends, I think, that we should talk about and then maybe get into some of the things we really like and some of the things maybe that, you know, I, I don't know. Is there something that isn't great in this movie? Anyway, um, <laughs> some of the trends and looking at that progression, at that machine gun fire rate of scene changing and action and comedy and backstory, all of that. I think this movie does an incredible job of introducing characters. Um, there are, uh, if you try and list out the characters, if we go back to Never Say Never Again, you know, there's seven eight characters in that movie. This movie, like 15, 20 characters, and they all have a story. They all have lines. Now, they may be, you know, it may be a rather superficial character like Margot the reporter or Eddie, um, you know, the the guy who's, I think he's the maitre d' at the restaurant. Um, (laughs) You know, but you get a real feel for these people, and they all get lines, and they all are part of the great narrative that is Big Trouble in Little China. And this movie does a wonderful job of drip-feeding you those characters. I mean, it starts with Egg Shen, and he sort of does that whole introduction of Jack Burton as the hero, which we will definitely get to in a minute. But then you get Jack. And, you know, Jack is like the drunk uncle caricature. He's introduced as a character driving his rig into San Francisco. You know, I'm not sure if he's drinking out of a bottle at that point, but at the end of the movie, he's drinking and driving. And he's basically you know, quote unquote after amazing, cruddy, crazy quote into, (laughs) you're wondering, is anyone listening to this guy? Um, I'm talking to anybody out there who's listening. (laughs) I wonder if the radio's even on or the the microphone's plugged in. Um, Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, my wife has a quote for um, when people do that. And it's something like old man shouting at clouds. And I think mm-hmm. it is literally that. It is him just 
but that is a perfect introduction for that character. Then you get, you know, you get Wang and the next scene and it just goes and every single scene you go into, you get introduced to something else. And it just it keeps building and building and building, but then it keeps referring back to the other ones. And so by the end of the movie or, you know, 3 quarters of the way through the movie, you have a really strong connection to almost every character in it, which is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Would, mm-hmm. Is that your experience with this? Yes, absolutely. It's definitely an ensemble cast. There's 48 different pieces to keep up with at all times. I think one of the beautiful things about it is, I guess the most negative thing I can say about the movie overall and, and its, its myriad of characters is at some point in the movie, I just kind of mentally check out and just let the movie flow over me. Yeah. But it's it sounds negative, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's a glorious way you just go, okay, let's just do this. Yeah. Your attention span <laughs> has been beaten into submission. <laughs> yeah, I'm done trying to follow the story. I'm just going to watch all these wonderful things that happen and just laugh and laugh. Yeah. And laugh. I mean, you talk about you talk about there's a lot of characters. Okay, you've got uh, Lopan. And he comes in like three different forms. Yeah, he does. Literally. <laughs> He's one character that comes as like ghostly Lopan, very, very old, decrepit, hilarious old man. Lopan. Yeah, amazing, so right? Says, everything he says is a dang stitch. And then you've got like demonic Lopan. <laughs> so like one guy still has three different versions of himself. Yeah. <laughs> And then you have, I mean, if, if you're looking at the villains, then, of course, you have the three storms, um, one yeah. of which I, I knew thunder and I knew lightning because they were they were clearly said uh, they mm-hmm. were clearly named in the movie. And I literally didn't realize the third guy's name until watching it this time. Um, the guy with the sword. And I I should have figured it out. It was really obvious. But I checked the credits at the end. His name's Rain. Didn't know that. Rain. Makes okay, sense. that's that's funny because I was watching it for my fourth time. I was like, same thing, thunder, lightning. Who's that other guy? Yeah, Rain. And that's mm-hmm. why at the very end when Jack is talking about um, shaking the pillars of heaven, you know, again, old, you know, old man shouting at clouds with his little microphone in his truck driving away. He's talking about, you know, we shook the, the pillars of heaven and when the thunder's rumbling and the rain's falling and, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's he mentions all three storms. Then mm, and you and you're like, oh, rain. That makes sense. Got it. Uh, but yeah, didn't know. And right. I, I didn't know until just now. So you cleared it up for me. But even then, I mean, when do you get a major villain henchman like that in like a Bond movie and they not named or some other mm-hmm. you know movie? They they always put the names in. But th- so much is happening in this movie that you know, <laughs> a they don't name one of the big bad guys, and b. You don't notice. I can't, I mean, I've literally watched this movie dozens of times, and I've never realized I didn't know that character's name. Now, it occurred to me on my fourth watching, but I was like, didn't get to finish the movie. I probably should have stuck around and read those credits. But that was our ill fit. We were supposed to record two days ago, and then my house right. got rewired for comms, and I didn't get to finish the movie. Well, that was actually fortuitous because uh, Game of Thrones came out in Australia, and I just recorded an episode with uh, our good friend Jason from uh, the Dr. Mer- Mercury blogspot, speaking of Joe and Toy Soldiers. And um, I, yeah, we had to record over two days, and uh, in I think it's an hour and a half episode, and I think it took us almost three hours to record it because the <laughs> internet kept dropping out because Australia's, uh, uh. Australia's internet's two little uh, tin cans with a string attached, and uh, apparently everyone was streaming Game of Thrones for days. <laughs> that sounds about right. 
Do you mind if I ask? I know we're in the middle of talking about this movie, but I'll tie it together. Do you mind if I ask Please. about gaming question in the middle of our movie talk? Let's do it. Okay, because the game is Big Trouble in Little China. Yes. I saw a game come out, and they were they were pumping it at one of these conventions I was mm-hmm. at because they gave me a free lanyard. I hung my little I'm a cool artist pass on the free lanyard they gave me, mm-hmm. and it's a Big Trouble in Little China, the game. Yes. I just I figured this was apropos time and place to talk about it this. It is a Have perfect. played it? So I have not played it. Uh, a friend of mine, a good friend of the show, Peter West, uh, got in on the Kickstarter, and it is apparently great stuff. I have not played it. Um, I do not own it yet. Uh, there's too many good games to play. That Understood. said, um, I, I do love a game, and I think I may have mentioned it at the very end of the the Bond podcast that we talked about before. Uh, it's it's a it's a game called Seven TV. And in this game, uh, you basically get to play out television shows from the 60s, 70s, 80s. Uh, and you basically, it gives you the rules to create a cast. And you, um, you know, you have your action hero. And there's, you know, little characters for each genre, uh, sorry, for each tr- character trope. So you have, you know, the sidekick, the scientist, um, you know, the faceless minions, um, the evil genius, the, you know, the industrialist, like Drax, um, you know, right. basically goes through and then you play out an episode and the game's r- incredibly cleverly made. So you can basically cut and paste anything in. I've played it using my Cobra Force, so Cobra Commander and the Crimson Guard. Um, I've used it playing Teenage, Mut- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus the Shredder and the Foot Clan um, nice. with Mousers running around. I mean, it's a wonderful game. Cool. But for that, and to bring it back to Big Trouble in Little China, um, a friend of mine uh, painted up some uh, pulp-era sort of Chinese civilian models with rifles and with, you know, shotguns and swords and, you know, spears. So I have 30 of those, and I found a figure for Lopan. (laughs) <laughs> and I found a figure for the 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 uh, orangutan monster. <laughs> monster. Yes. Right. So I don't have the storms, but I have those two, and I found Jack Burton. So you better believe there will be a seven TV game of Big Trouble in Little China that will be played by myself very soon. And, are yeah. you telling me? Are you telling me they don't make Mortal Kombat figures? Because you know that's Raiden all day long. Oh, I—that's a <laughs> rabbit hole. Yeah, of course. Now that you say that, they're based on the same, yeah, fictitious, yeah, or sorry, mythical character. Yeah, that—that that definitely has to be investigated. You can't help but wonder when you watch the movie too. Like, did the Mortal Kombat makers? This is an awful lot like Raiden from Mortal Kombat. Yeah, exactly. Uh, It would be interesting to see, because I think they based Raiden on the basic idea that the the Storms were based on. Because the Storms are based on, and I... This is bad research on my behalf. It's based on some characters from something else from way before, and I think they came from the same original source material. That's it. Oh, if, okay. So it's like Chinese legend type of deal. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay, okay, that would explain it. If that I'm totally wrong, please it. message. No, Tell no. me I'm wrong. Um, it's, listeners, it's one of those things where yeah. if you're wrong, it sounds smart. So yeah, legit. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes you got to sound smart, even if you're not. Um, <laughs> Yes. Uh, okay. So introductions to the characters. I, th- I thought yes. this movie did a wonderful job of doing that. I, I was 
you know, trying to stitch together the narrative and bring it together in a way that I could coherently express that to uh, listeners, um, I realized just how many characters are introduced and it isn't, it would be very easy to overwhelm people um, really early in the movie by trying to give them too much backstory. And I think this did a really good job of drip drying it out over the course of the movie, um, which, you know, given how many characters and how much information was really impressive. I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. And God, the, the sense of humor of this movie is it's wonderful. Uh, I, I just, (laughs) I cannot get over how, Everyone's got a witty line. Um, you know, they, as a teacher, sometimes we teach kids, well, you want to give, you want to have your voice as the author in there, uh, but you also want to give your characters their own voice. And to a degree, each character has its own voice, but you can definitely, if you watch it analytically, the, the zippy one-liners that everyone's throwing out definitely mm-hmm. all came from the same mind. And it's... Um, <laughs> It's it's great. I mean, it's uh, it's it's all that you want from an '80s action movie. It's clever. It's funny. Um, you know, it's got heart. It's it's great. <laughs> yeah, I, I all the zippy lines. I think they saved ninety percent of them for for elderly Lopin in the wheelchair. <laughs> Everything that guy says cracks me up. Yes, him and Gracie <laughs> Law, man, they've got some awesome ones. Uh, my favorite is when you know Jack walks up the first time, and this will tie it to my next point. And, you know, he's like, hey, you know, laying down his best line. Have you ever considered? And she's like, no, not with anyone in your condition. Well, let's talk <laughs> about my condition. What's exactly wrong with it? And she said, well, if you're downwind like I am, forget. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it's Miller time. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Speaking of Miller time, and that's the thing about him. He's undeterred. She's putting up every wall that says I'm not interested. And he does not. He's either not picking up the signals or he doesn't care because he is undeterred. Every insult bounces off of him like he's Superman and her insults are just bullets. I had a friend like that in college and we would go out <laughs> and he would just uh, he was the ultimate salesman. He would just walk up uh, to, you know, girls at bars and start talking. And, you know, you would they would no, no. No, not interested in you. No, no. And by the end, they were buying him drinks. And you're going, <laughs> how do you even talk your way through this? And it was just, you know, it wasn't for nefarious purposes. He just let it go and start talking to folks. And people would, you know, you're just not used to that in modern society. And uh, I, I get the feeling that when I, you know, I watch Jack Burton now, I see that. He's like, no, nah, I definitely know this isn't going my way, but I'm going to talk my way through it. <laughs> He just doesn't care. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, okay. Um, when we talked, and I, I don't mean to keep drawing back to the last episode that you were on, but let's do it one more time. When we're okay. talking about um, James Bond, you you know, he is the quintessential sort of white action hero um, that has tons of, you know, as as in the Bond world, they're called helpers, um, you know, Bond friends, or, mm-hmm. and, you know, you might yeah. even call them sidekicks who go and help him out on his adventures. Now, sometimes that would be like a Felix Leiter, who, you know, is all sorts of shapes and colors and sizes over the years. But you also right. have Tiger Tanaka, Karen Bay, you know, all the big faves over the years. And it's always sort of the white protagonist. And then you have, you know, the helpers who are often a minority. And in, if you take that outside of the Bond genre, you often get in other action movies or other movies in particular, those characters 
you know, might be portrayed as bumbling. They may be the comic relief. What I think is fantastic about this movie is that, and John Carpenter intentionally made it this way, that Jack is the bumbling idiot. That the main oh, character, yeah. the protagonist, is completely useless. And I actually made notes as in these 15 pages of when he wasn't useless. And can I just say that's a very small list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the sidekick, you know, Wang, incredibly able. He's agile. Oh, yeah. He can fight. No, Wang clever. is the hero of this feature. Yeah. He, he's the hero of the feature. Jack is his bumbling idiot friend who is the quintessential American. Yes. Just in over his head and doesn't even know it, doesn't care. Mm -hmm. And and just lucky as hell. Yes. <laughs> oh, you're right though. I I I I jumped in there, but you were making Please. a great point about it. just he's just so not what you he's so different from every other 80s hero. He's not super smooth or super cool, and that's what makes him charming. He's a doofus. Yeah. He's a guy that takes 10 minutes to get his dang knife out while his buddy actually took everybody out. Yeah. And then or he whips out that knife in the middle of like a kung fu gunfight. Mm -hmm. He's just like holding it like he doesn't know what to do. Yes. Or worse <laughs> yet, he finally does get a gun, shoots the ceiling above his head, knocks himself out for the first five minutes of the fight. <laughs> Meanwhile, See, up about the movie again. yeah. Meanwhile, his best friend is you know zinging around having <laughs> the martial arts sword fight of all time, and he's literally on the ground. And he wakes up long <laughs> enough to get you know a suit of armor basically fall on him like the um, like the the the, the wog rider from uh, the two towers uh, where you know the dwarf gets giant dog creature falls on him and then another one comes up over his head and he kills it and then it falls on him again and he goes ugh and it's clearly the comedy for that scene but here we go Jack is you know finally is ready to do something and then gets stuff that falls on him and then spends you know the next five minutes trying to get the suit of armor off him meanwhile epic battles happening in the background fantastic it's good stuff oh man so good uh and yeah, and I, it's interesting because you have, um, I mean, almost every character in the movie is like that. Um, the damsel in distress, uh, Kim Cattrall, the, the actress who played Gracie Law, uh, literally didn't want a part of this movie, um, was not interested in doing this movie whatsoever until she, you know, she met with John Carpenter, um, who kind of sold her on the idea that this was not a damsel in a dress. This wasn't someone who screamed in the background and needed help. Um, the main character was that. And that this is, you know, a character, this is a female character who's intelligent, who um, is capable. And, I mean, you see throughout the movie, there are moments when, for example, she wakes up out of, you know, the, the sorceress trance by herself. Like, there isn't any, no one helps her. She does that. Uh, and mm -hmm. it's Egg Shen. Um, you get, you know, the you could have easily have played Egg, the little, um, you know, as they call, uh, as Lil Pan calls him, the little bastards, you know, garden sorcerer or something like that. <laughs> he could have easily have played that out as uh, at his expense, but instead, you know, he's shown as wise and yes. you know, able, and he sort of. He's the one who, at the beginning, then turns around and says, we should all be thankful for Jack. He, you know, we're in his, you know, debt. We are in his debt. Yeah. Why which... don't you leave Jack Burton alone? Exactly. <laughs> but that introduction scene, um, as much as, 
I love it. I think it's interesting that that was added after the movie was made. Um, I don't know if you know that. It, when the movie was originally made, it, was, it started with Jack starting on the CB, but the egg scene, you know, the first time we saw, we see, you know, egg in the movie, he's driving the tour bus. Um, that's the way John Carpenter wrote the movie. But the studio was worried that Americans in the 80s wouldn't understand, wouldn't get it, that in this movie, you know, Kurt Russell wasn't the hero, even though that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, <laughs> and so they made him put in the that scene at the beginning where he's talking to um, his defense lawyer. And then it really cleverly sets up the, A, the notion that Egg is part of this. B, he's very able. C, introduces all of the supernatural, the magic, everything else. Um, and that Jack is our hero. Uh, and I almost like it better with the idea that, you know, you get that early Egg driving the bus, you know, looking a little dotering. Um, yes. Right? But now <laughs> that Jack, I, I think Jack ran him off the road. Yeah, he literally did. Um, <laughs> but if you, like, I, I, you see what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I don't know which one I like better. Uh, but I, I think I like it the way it is um, because it does too. sort of set up, as I say, it, it does. It was, even though I think John Carpenter hated that he had to put it in, I think he did a very good job of sort of introducing a lot of the themes of the movie in it without spoiling stuff. Um, it perks your ears up. It go. It makes you go, oh, you know, okay. You know, it just, it, it's a real good hook, an early hook. It is, because you as the audience are kind of playing the part of the defense layer. Like, oh, I'm supposed to buy this. Oh, this is happening. Oh, what? Okay, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, the little man puts up his hands and lightning is shooting between them. And you go, oh, okay, it's that kind of movie. And then the movie <laughs> begins, so you're ready for it. Otherwise, the first sniff of Supernatural happens when the storms drop out of the sky. And if that yep. was the first scene of the Supernatural in this movie, eh, that may have been a harder <laughs> that may have been a harder sell. Yeah, I reference uh, from Dusk Till Dawn, where it's yes. like 40 minutes before anything Supernatural happens in the film. Mm -hmm. All right, guys. I think, uh, I think Jared and I are going to do something a little different this time. And uh, we're going to play... A little game. Now, normally we would have done a synopsis by now. So you know basically what the movie's about and sort of the plot. Now, um, for this movie, as we talked about, that's a little difficult. So instead, we're going to make we have some fun with it. So I'm going to start and I'm going to give a quick one liner for the synopsis. Now, Jared's going to have to come up with what happens next. And we're going to go back and forth, and we're going to go through the movie. And as we get to different points that occur in the movie, we may stop and have a quick chat. Now, Jared, as I said, I have 15 pages of notes. I hope you're ready. because <laughs> Oh, God. Yeah, I might have to have you help me out at some point, but let's do this. Yes. <laughs> well, okay, do you want – would you like to – it's like a tennis match. Would you like to go first, sir? Would you like to serve? No, no, I want you to serve so I get the vibe of, of, of how you want this to go. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully I don't hit the net. So let's see how we go. Well, as we literally just got finished talking about this, um, we have the introduction of the movie with Egg Shen in the defense lawyer's office, and it, it sets up the idea that there has been this giant supernatural occurrence uh, in San Francisco's Chinatown. An entire city block has exploded into green flame. By the way, I don't think that actually happens in the movie, but <laughs> just saying. Just 
Hmm. So uh, we we go through that, and um, so I'll I'll skim. I'll get the ball rolling, and then we'll go get into the proper synopsis. So. Um, Egg shows us lightning and that sort of sets up for us, the audience, that Supernatural actually happens. Then it cuts, of course, to Kurt Russell in the rig, driving in as Jack Burton, giving us some fantastic quotables that I have been seeing on Facebook since Facebook started by friends who have clearly been watching the movie and then immediately pipe in with something off of that, uh, which is amazing (laughs) and sets up Jack as... Oh, as Jack, you clearly know who this guy is by the time he gets going. Uh, And then we roll into our first proper scene where um, Jack goes, I guess, to do his delivery in uh, the, as we said, San Francisco Chinatown and goes to the markets there. Uh, At which point we see, you know, it's nighttime, it's raining, there are stalls all over the place. You know, people are eating, they're selling their wares. And we get into a gambling game. Jared? From there, Jack is revealed to me. I think he's been, uh, seems like he's had this friend for a while. And that yes. is Wang, I do believe is his name. That is correct. correct. me if I'm wrong. Nope. I'm terrible with the names in this Wang movie. Wang Chi. Wang Chi. And he, he's been gambling all night with Wang Chi. And he actually has, uh, Jack has actually done very, very well. Jack has pretty much everyone's winnings. He's in a good mood. And Wang Chi is kind of sad because he didn't do so well and he needs the money. Why does he need the money? Because he's got to go to the airport. Why has he got to go to the airport? Because he's got to pick up his fiance. What's up with his fiance? She's an Asian girl with green eyes. That's very elaborate and exotic. And so they head off to the airport because Jack says, there's no way I'm letting you out of my sight when you owe me that money. So they head off to the airport together. This whole story starts because... Wang owes Jack money, and Jack doesn't want to let Wang out of his sight. Well, yes. Back you. Well, it, <laughs> that was excellent. Nicely done. Uh, and as part of that gambling, though, it's sort of the game ends, and um, Wang, everyone else leaves, and it's just Wang and Jack, and they're sitting at the table drinking, and um, Wang says, double or nothing. I can cut this bottle in half with a sword. And Jack is like, this is one of the few times we see Jack Burden as competent. And it, yes, it, it, yeah, he has right? one skill set. He has one skill set. <laughs> he does. And he just looks at him and goes, do I look dumb? Like, no. I, you, know, you can basically read between the lines of him saying, do I look dumb to you? And I'm sure Wang is thinking, yes, I, you do look dumb to me. Um, that is all inferred. But he, you know, it's. I'm not going to fall for that trick. You know, no, I'm not going to do this. And then Wang pulls out the machete and Jack goes, oh, come on. I thought we were friends here. But this is clearly the case of Jack trying to talk himself out of a dangerous situation. You know, we don't really know Wang. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, other traditional 80s action stars, you know, probably would have thrown the bottle at Wang or kicked the table or, you know, done something to incapacitate him. Instead, Jack's like, oh, crap. What do I have to do now? So Jack wins the bet wins even more money and um, goes to collect. And Wang says, oh, I don't have it with me. And of course, that leads <laughs> us to the airport. But again, showing Jack is competent because all of a sudden Jack's going, you know what? I'm going to follow you. No, I just came to my senses. I'm going to drive. And, you know, this is, again, one of the few times you can clearly see Jack's been burned in the past. And he's like, yeah, not. Nah, I've actually learned from that mistake. I'm not going to fall for that one, buddy. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> The only other thing that we pick up from Jack that's really important to the rest of the movie is Jack has one single solitary skill set. Well, maybe two because he didn't get duped. Mm. His other one is he has incredibly fast reflexes. Thank you. Because Wang tries to 
cut the bottle in half, and all he does is send it flying. And in a blink of an eye, Jack is able to catch it very confidently. So basically, Jack has one or two skill sets. He's for a guy who's not too smart. He's street smart. He's not going to get duped in a gambling game, and he's got some incredibly fast reflexes. <laughs> he does, and uh, it's like that. It's like that scene in every action movie where the action star loads the gun, and then you know it's going to get used later. Um, in this case, Jack doesn't load the gun. He just catches a bottle and and, and says the uh, it's all in the reflexes and that all sets it up for the entire rest of the film. So, yes, very important character building scene. But we get to the airport, the San Francisco airport in the 80s. Apparently the airport with the worst security ever, <laughs> ever. So ever. ever. <laughs> uh, seem to remember. How did uh, we survive airports in the 80s? You yeah. ever watch these 80s movies, man? It's like, oh, you got a butterfly knife? No problem. Uh, you got a hand grenade? No problem. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Large-scale automatic weapons? No problem. Just come on no problem. in. Now, of course, the reason why we're saying that the uh, the old security of the airport's not great is, so Jack and Wang go, and you know, it's there's a crowd waiting for people to come out off the plane. And uh, we see Jack uh, looking through the crowd, and a, a young lady catches his eye in the crowd. Of course, this is Kim Cattrall, uh, playing Gracie Law, and it introduces Gracie as, you know, having another character having green eyes, which, of course, you've alerted to before, um, because he talks to Wang, and Wang's like, oh, no, she's trouble, don't go talk to her, and then, of course, he does, and as we talked about, he gets shot down in an epic fashion, Uh, and in his interactions with her, we realize that she's a lawyer, um, that, you know, she's going to be somehow involved in this story, and... uh, she warns him to stay away from a bunch of hooligans, uh, Asian gang members who join our, the crowd and seem to be looking for people like everyone else who's there. So we have Gracie, who seems to be looking for someone. We, of course, have Wang, who's looking for his fiance, And we have these thugs. And in an epic fight, um, things sort of go wrong. Um, and Jack, again, made to look like a fool. And of course, by doing that, it's he gets made to look like the fool in an epic fashion because you have um, he's distracted by one guy who's sort of waving weapons around, and then he backs up away from him cautiously. And in the oldest schoolyard book uh, possible, another guy gets on you know all fours behind him, and Jack trips over him. What action hero does that? Seriously, not great. Uh, but of course, um, the the thugs grab. Uh, Wang's fiance uh, kidnaps her uh, at gunpoint, I might add, in an airport. No security in sight. Don't worry about it, guys. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, they get in their awesome, what is that, a Trans Am? And uh, drive off and in uh, epic Jack action hero fashion, an actual positive thing, he pushes Wang out of the way. Um, as the car is about to hit them. Again, one of the few things that Jack does in the movie well. And uh, Jack and Wang jump in the truck and head off after them. Anything Uh you would like to add to that, sir? No, I think you covered it pretty well. (laughs) All right, all right. Jack is a hero, but he is not heroic. No. not. (laughs) He does his best. Uh, sometimes he gets penny flipped like a kid in school, but he does his best. I do love, though, that uh, he, he does have a wonderful one-liner here, and uh, that is when Wang's like, oh, I can't ask you, and Jack's like, no, let's go. Um, 
you know, zero to go, and then immediately says, son of bitch must pay. <laughs> That's right, son of bitch must pay. Which is absolutely <laughs> great. Jared, your turn. What's up next? Oh, man, you might have to remind me. And now I know that in short order, they take the truck. Is that where they take the truck back to Chinatown? Yes. Narrowly miss uh, Egg mm -hmm. as he's driving the bus the other way. End up in the alleyway. Yes. Yes. And then in the alleyway, you get a very, very epic fight. So they get back in the truck and they're trying to track down uh, Wang's missing girlfriend. And yes, they narrowly miss, miss Egg. They go down the alleyway. And in the alleyway, they come across a funeral. Mm -hmm. and, and funeral procession has all these guys in like white or ivory clothes and their gold trim. And guess who shows up? The rival gang. Mm -hmm. Basically, the Chinese jets and the Chinese sharks meet up yes. together. <laughs> and thankfully, <laughs> there's way. no snap fighting. There's no snap fights, but it is so crazy because I alluded to this earlier. They start squaring off. OK, so you got to imagine our hero, mm -hmm. which is Wang and his... <laughs> And his bumbling co-hero, co mm -hmm. which is Jack, are sitting in the cab of the truck, and all this is going on around them. This major gang fight just breaks out. And when I say major gang fight, I'm talking kung fu, AK-47s, uh, Tommy guns, six shooters. Yeah. It's insane it's awesome. how much stuff's going on. And Jack is sitting there in the cab just holding his, like, four-inch knife with yes. a death grip. Like, like, he's ready to go, but he doesn't know what to do. He's terrified, but he's ready, you know? Yes. And I think that really is is the description of Jack as a character overall. He doesn't know what's going on around him, no. but somehow he's ready. Yes. <laughs> oh, and, he's trying. You know, we talked we talked character earlier on, but I think one of the most endearing things about Jack is he is the least knowledgeable person. Everyone else around him knows something about what's going on. He knows nothing about what's going on. Yes. But yet he's ready. So anyway, Big, big fight. And that's when the three storms show up, these mythical gods. Yes. That's where the movie takes its first very odd turn. These three storms, much like Raiden from Mortal Kombat, hmm? show up. They just start laying out fools like Kitchen Tile. Like the two nice. fighting gangs basically team up and try to survive this, this attack. Mm hmm. Now, I, so I, Jack, yeah, I, go I gotta ahead, stop go ahead, one second there because, um, with when you get the storms showing up, it's you know they drop down, everyone shoots at them, they just they yeah. they don't even respond. It just you know, and then they they all pull out their knives, Gurkha knives from World War II, in case you're wondering, kids. Um, curry curry knives, I think is what they're called. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but they pull out their knives, and instead of throwing their knives, they do an entire forward flip in unison and then throw the knives and then throw the knife. Yeah. Yes. There's gotta be an easier way to throw a knife. I'm just <laughs> not sure But they do it with style and panache. They do. They do. By the way, did you notice though, in the um, sort of the Chinese standoff that's happening, um, all the guns come out and they just, as you say, they, they kill dudes left, right and center. And then they drag off the bodies and that's when things get serious. And that's mm. when everyone pulls out the martial arts weapons and, you know, the two by fours and they glare menacing at, menacingly at one another. And that's when this, the standoff happens. It's like <laughs> all the shooting and all the people who die before that. Eh, that doesn't matter. It's a preamble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep, exactly. The preamble. Sorry, I cut you off there. Go ahead. Oh, that's quite all right. So Jack just decides I got to get out of here. This is too much for me. Puts the truck in gear, takes off just as he's about to exit the alleyway. A mystical, mythical Asian ghost-like man. Mm -hmm. Seven feet tall. <laughs> appears in front of him. Jack straight up runs him over. 
Jet gets out of the truck to go see to this guy that he just ran over, and the guy's standing behind the truck perfectly fine. Not only that, he starts casting light spells on Jack. Light comes out of, well, it's Lopan. Yeah. Out of Lopan's eyes and mouth, and Jack mm-hmm. is temporarily blinded. And he and Wang have to literally run for it as a variety of different people. I'm not even sure who all is chasing them, but right? apparently everyone is chasing them uh, until they escape too. And I'll let you pick it up from there. Well, before we get to that, so Jack's temporarily blinded. Uh, in order to get out of that, um, they <laughs> Wang splashes some sewer water, uh, some water, you know, some alley puddle like water, right out of a pothole. Yeah. <laughs> in now, I I've been to Chinatown in San Francisco in the 1980s, and um, behind some of those restaurants, I don't know if I'd want to be splashing that water in anyone's <laughs> eyes. And if you did, the bad news is you can see again. The bad news is you have hepatitis C. <laughs> yes, and conjunctivitis and everything else. Oh, you may have to lose that eye later, but you can see for the short term. Oh, man. I just, it was one of those things. Again, I've watched this movie a million times, but it wasn't until this time when I watched it that I went, oh, my God, not that. And it could be that I live near Melbourne's Chinatown. And so, you know, I walk my dog around a lot of those alleys and I, I'm constantly dragging him away from those puddles, but I'm going, oh, God, no. Anyway, <laughs> so then we end up back in Wang's restaurant. And, of course, this is the introduction of Eddie. Uh, we also get properly introduced to Gracie Law. Um, she walks in um, with an epic introduction. And we get the very small character, Uncle Chu, who is, you know, plays the part of, like, the sensible, reasonable character. And, of course, doesn't then reappear much in this movie because there's not much of that. Um but we get the introduced to the idea that the Chinese have a lot of hells, um, which I think is amazing. And they keep describing all of these hells, like the hells of the skinned upside down sinners, drowned sinners and all these other things. <laughs> yeah. um, I did keep track. There are six hells that I caught in uh, in this. Um, my favorite uh, in the movie is the hell of the Randy Dragon. Yep, that is definitely <laughs> the hell you don't want to be caught in. Did, did you count the hell that Wang completely made up? Didn't Wang make yes. one up? Yes, he did. <laughs> which is awesome. I did count that one. That was one of the six, um, which is, yeah, awesome. Uh, and then, of course, uh, they talk through where they need to go next. And um, that is the White Tiger, which is the, um, the, the human trafficking brothel. Now, in modern day, that would not be in a comedy movie. Like, you just... You couldn't do that, um, but it's very lightly handled uh, and very funny um, the way that Jack goes in and changes his accent and goes in and pretends to be a businessman, and um, yeah, forget about it. It's the 80s, um, <laughs> but man, uh, I do love that the proprietress of the White Tiger, the um, Asian brothel, is Miss O'Toole. Um, thought that was funny. <laughs> Madam O'Toole. <laughs> Okay. Uh, you don't look terribly O'Tooley, but okay. You got <laughs> but it. Whatever. Yeah, well, okay. Um, and I do love that uh, Jack is able to turn his accent to sound nerdy on a dime, including changing his laugh. But th- I, I think that does point, and this is where I put a giant circle around this in my notes. Um, I loved this movie forever, and it wasn't until a friend mentioned it to me, maybe two or three years ago, that Kurt Russell is doing a John Wayne impression the entire movie. Um, Jack Burton's voice is literally 
John Wayne, a John Wayne impression the entire movie. <laughs> and now I can't unhear that. And so every time, <laughs> just watch you going, really? And of course, um, that lends itself nicely to Kurt Russell doing that in another John Carpenter movie, um, Escape from New York, Snake Plissken is Kurt Russell doing a uh, Clint Eastwood impression for the entire movie. And it changed, yeah, probably shouldn't say that on a podcast, <laughs> changed my reality. Yeah, Love those now movies. everyone who's listening, their realities change. Oh, I ruined those movies. Ah, but anyway, <laughs> um, so, uh, and of course, uh, during this scene, uh, they go, uh, one of the people who are working at the brothel goes to look at Miao Yin, the, the, Wang's um, captured fiance, and they go through the worst secret door in history. I love that it's clearly a door frame with a bit of wood behind the back, and she hits a button and it opens. And I was thinking, it, is that even secret? Like, how does that? It's terrible. <laughs> <sighs> um, but of course, then the storms show up and wreck the place. Um, pretty much, well, capture or take um, Miao Yin from the um, the slavers at the brothel, and Jack is pretty much nuked into the next room by uh, lightning's lightning, and uh, he escapes, and they end up back in Gracie Law's apartment. Take it away, Jared. Oh my goodness! So they're back in Gracie Law's apartment. See, this is where the movie starts getting made to be. Now I know from there mm -hmm. they end up going to the Wing what, Kong, what, the Wing Kong Exchange. Called? Yeah, that's like the hub mm -hmm. of of Lopan's. It's his evil lair. It is essentially. I can't remember why they decided to go there. So they go to Gracie's apartment, um, A, to show, I guess, Gracie as a character. Um, I do like how there's actually like a dress hanging from a lamp in the background. It looks actually lived in, unlike a lot of movie um, apartments. Mm -hmm. But um, we also get the introduction of Tara, or Tara, um, who is um, another young Asian woman who was the reason why Gracie was at the airport in the first place. It explains the way that she was trying to make sure that this person came to America and got their rights. So we're, you know, we're introducing Gracie as a character who's both heroic and selfless and trying to help people uh, come to America. So there, there we go. You go. And it also gives Jack enough, you know, time to. Um, lose the terrible accent and the clothing he'd been wearing at the White Tiger, get back into his more traditional action clothing, and uh, for him and Wang to recommit their um, their partnership in trying to rescue the girl, and they end up in the lair of all that is bad, the Wing Kong Exchange. They go in pretending to be telephone repairmen. <laughs> the worst dressed telephone repairman ever, I might add. <laughs> Carrying a traditional landline phone with no yes. cord to it. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, they go in to scout that out. They're basically getting the lay of the land, looking for, I think their ultimate goals are looking for Wang's fiance. I think that's why they're there. Like yes. I said, at certain points in the movie, I just check out and watch what's happening. So here's what I do know, and you can fill in the blanks. Yes, for sir. Me. I do know that whilst they're poking around in there, they are they are found out because they get trapped in like a mm -hmm. water filled elevator. Yep, which leads them directly into the hell of the upside down skins corpses. <laughs> exactly, corpses, and it's scary looking. It is like it's right out of a horror movie with these half decayed mm -hmm. bodies, and they're swimming through there. 
And you're gonna have to you're gonna have to help me out and remind me where they come out of. Do they go in the. They, so they, they go. They, mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. You've got this better than me at this point because there's so much going on. It's hard for me to keep track of. Yeah. So they um they come out and they are captured. It's just a quick two second snap, but it's Thunder whose yes! feet That's we right. see, ahead, I ahead. believe, and they are captured. And uh, there is the world's most interesting uh, interrogation scene because they basically are tortured by um, one of the storms blowing, like creating what look like little red styrofoam balls and blowing them at them uh, and them being beaten up by this. So uh, kudos for strange interrogation scenes. But yeah, then they are put into the uh, into the wheelchairs and are wheeled in to meet our villain, who gives us <laughs> our first proper monologue. And as you love this character, I'm going to let you do I that. I do, I do. The, <laughs> right? the little old version of Lopan, and uh, you know, they're, they're, and because they've seen him before as the ghost, they're like, "We're, we're here to see Lopan," and he's like, "Well, then you have succeeded, Mister Barton." Exactly. <laughs> Oh, and, and, and like Lopan, old man version of Lopan, because this is like his human form. It's a decrepit human form. Mm. He has no time for shenanigans. No. He's always like, he's always like, shut up, Mr. Barton. Exactly. <laughs> he's the most impatient character ever. It's great. I realize that I'm only entertaining myself at this point of the podcast. Oh, God, no. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he basically talks about how it's kind of a little plot point reveal where they're talking about as he's supposed to be mm-hmm. married to the girl with the green eyes. And I just remember Jack having a very funny line where he's like, cause he revealed he'd been alive for like 2000 years or something. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, it's been 2000 years, buddy. And you still can't make it work with a girl. You might want to just call it. Quits. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And then like, and then the funny thing about that is at that point, like Lopan gets a little sensitive. He's like, well, you know, it's men and women and you always have to try. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, you seem like you would know, Jack. Uh, there, yeah, there's that nice line in there that I thought was great. I, oh. And I, to the listeners, I, I want to be very clear. I think this is a spot on low elderly Lopan impression. I, I, I really don't mean any offense to anyone's accents, but I think I'm doing a pretty dang good impression oh, yeah. of the character. Oh, it's great. <laughs> yes. And he talks about how he's got a demon. It's like it's a big plot point, plot point, plot point reveal scene. Mm-hmm. And then, see, again, this is where you're going to have to help me out because I know they basically have their discussion with Lopan. He kind of mm-hmm. reveals a plot how he's trying to get with the girl with the green eyes to keep his demon side yep. healthy. I don't know. To become mortal again, yep. Yes, and then and then he's interrupted because uh, that's what I need to know because I know that Kurt Russell ends up traveling backwards at very high speeds in in his wheelchair and almost falling in a hole. But I can't remember what interrupted them because there's so much going on in this movie. Let me let me uh, let me give you that that little connect the dot there. It's uh, please do Gracie, Margot, and Eddie. Uh, storm into the Wang Kong exchange and Lopan sees through the television monitors that he's being interrupted and that this, that, and he gets, he's gone, this really pisses me off. And then he starts and he, and he rolls out and um, Jack and Wang are tied up and put in a room. Uh, I guess they're still tied to the wheelchairs that they have been and they're um, blindfolded and stuck in this room um, and in in a strange moment of Jack being reasonable, um, he's able to break him and Wang out of the the wheelchairs, and that is how we get 
the high speed roll. I, and I mean, there's so much going on here, man. And, right. And I think we're defeating the 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 definition of the word summary because we're we're getting so bogged down. I, and the ping pong uh, match of 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 telling the tale of the movie is work. a lot of fun. But you obviously have a better memory for it than I do. So I would you just take it away and I will jump in as needed. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, it's not even that I have a better memory for it. I have a lot of pages of notes on it. But <laughs> yeah, and I'm oh, you defeated me with your preparation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not every day that I do that, but uh, today's that day. Um <laughs> What is yeah, the so, thing that you said so in they... the most recent Bond episode? I don't always um do the thing that I do, but when I do, I do it. I and eh, eh. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is that the way I said I do what I can do yes. when I can do it? <laughs> yes, that is exactly <laughs> what it is. There you go. Yes. Um, now, so there's a ton going on. So uh, just to recap, let's recap the recap. Okay, the recap. Uh, so we, we Gracie. Got, got Gracie and them are have, have invaded the building. Mm -hmm. uh, Jack used the distraction. He rolled backwards. He's He's teetering precariously about to fall down a well. Take it away. Well, actually, we need to take one little thing before that because I just it, looked I at my notes. Leave something out. <laughs> so, no, that's all right. Gracie, Margot, and Eddie um, get a tour. They are, they're harassing the people at the front desk. And then Thunder shows up and said, I'll give you a tour, um, you know, wearing a suit looking like a reasonable human being, and then takes them on a tour of the Wing Kong Exchange and takes them into another one of these trick elevators. And it's either he's telling a story that is so boring or that they, they release a gas in the elevator. And of course, this is a joke. They released the gas. But they uh, are knocked out. And that means that they are then captured as well. And um, Eddie, um, Eddie is brought into the room with Jack and Wang right after Jack has cut the bonds and has freed them. But then they pretend to be still tied to the chairs with their... With their um, Blindfolds on, and it's when um, Thunder goes in, opens the door, and is hanging Eddie from a hook on the wall. That, by the way, Grim. Um, that Jack pulls out his knife, jumps on his back, and is like, "I got you." Basically, you know, Jack yes. gets knocked off, you know, gets his ass kicked, and then is, yeah. is that when he inflates or my? Yes, that is the first time he inflates. But it's okay. um, the first time he just knocks Jack off and is like, yeah, no, jackass, get off me. And then Jack <laughs> jumps on and does it again. And it's like, uh, way not to learn the first time. But second time it sticks. And um, so Thunder gets rid of him by starting to inflate, at which point everyone runs away. And Jack's version of running away is getting knocked into the wheelchair that he just escaped from and then going down a giant ramp. Um, knocking there through several guards and almost ending up in a very conveniently or inconveniently placed well in the middle of a hallway. Um, but in true epic action movie, 80s style, catches himself right he's, as he's about to go over the edge um, by grabbing onto the wheels. I'm sure that would take off some fingers, but never mind that. <laughs> um, stopping right on the edge and then wheeling himself back on just enough to jump off the wheelchair and to be free, uh, at which point he catches up with Wang and Eddie, and they are out. Um, at which point they take the guns that I believe are they got from the guys that were knocked down by the wheelchair, and there is that wonderful scene where everyone's got a gun, and Jack looks at his little gun, looks at Wang's you know submachine gun, and says, "Hey, let's trade switches." At which point, you know, 
Wang looks at the little gun in his hand, looks at Eddie's shotgun, doesn't even ask, just takes it, switches him. <laughs> and everyone's got the right gun at that point. Oh, I just so many funny, clever little moments in this movie. Yes. That yes. aren't those even movies where you catch a little something every time you watch it again. Yeah. And this is, uh, and that leads us to the first point where we see the actual transformation, where we see old, elderly, witty Lopan turn into the seven foot tall um, ghost demon monster. Uh, at which point he slides or slash glides through the wall, some great effects there, and then uh, tries to, in his ethereal form, um, if again, this is one of those things I didn't notice until now. He tries to touch Miao Yin, and of course, his hand goes right through her. But if you're looking carefully about where he's touching her, uh, is he trying to feel her up? Because it looks an awful lot like it. I mean, it seems like the thing to do at the time. Yeah. And in case you're what, <laughs> yeah. And in case you're wondering, that's where we finally get the hell of the horny dragon. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, and the the guys have their first big fight. Um, Jack shoots a guy, and of course, uh, Eddie looks at him and says, is that the first time you plug someone? And he's like, of course not. Meanwhile, he's looking very sad. So it's <laughs> definitely the first time he's ever plugged someone. <laughs> yes. <sighs> yes. And we have, again, in a wonderful sort of juxtaposition of, um, you know, normal 80s action movie moments uh the guys are trying to break out um all the captives of the of lopan's prison which i guess are a bunch of um young women and gracie and Margot. uh and in the process you know um jack sort of climbs up the side uh surprisingly doesn't fall off but you have wang and eddie who are distracting um distracting the guards and the second that it all sort of you know gets actiony you know, Wang, very proficient martial artist at this point. We know this. And Eddie, you know, you know, he's a he's a reasonable sidekick. Get their asses kicked by the guards. <laughs> you know, young women guards. Young lady out. guards. Yep. Laid them out. Yep. But uh yeah. And of course then all this is all to distract the guards while Jack secretly and quietly goes in to free the captives. Uh Margot asks Jack, How are you gonna get us out? And Jack famously says, I have no idea. Uh, he then jumps down, makes a lot of noise, and if that wasn't enough, he then starts shooting at the locks in the prison, not making any noise at all, and all of the prisoners are screaming at the top of their lungs. Worst rescue attempt ever. <laughs> but ultimately it works. And that leads us to the chase through the underground of um, the Wing Kong Exchange, and uh, they you know, being chased by Thunder and all the guards in the world, and it leads to everyone jumping into the sewer and swimming to freedom. Um, and yeah, eventually this, and this goes on for quite a while. I could go through scene by scene, but eventually we get back to um, Jack uh, leading the group, or maybe it's Wang. I think it's Wang actually, who leads the group back to the lobby. Um, everyone says, okay, we're gonna make a run for it. Um, they, Jack holds up the guards at the front desk. Everyone runs out to Egg's bus, which is waiting outside with Uncle Chu. Everyone jumps out and runs away. Meanwhile, in all the confusion, Gracie gets grabbed by the orangutan monster, which I love so much. And um, yeah, uh, everyone's free, and they have the moment of realization on the bus. They still don't have Miao Yin. They still don't. And now they don't have Gracie. So they ended up in a worse position than when they started. That said, they there's did so free much, a lot like, of There's other so much people. infiltrating. 
yeah. and then escaping and then realizing you have to infiltrate again mm-hmm. and then escaping and then they have to infiltrate a third time. Oh, yes. <laughs> Sorry. And, no, I, I know I railed again, but it's so funny. <laughs> and of course, during that whole scene, I don't want to overstate or as you were talking about earlier, it's that whole thing where, you know, Jack shoots a guy and then a bunch of other guys run out. And Wang is fighting them, and Jack then spends the rest of the fight looking for his or trying to pull his knife out of the sheath, and <laughs> jumps out of the end, goes ha, and everyone else is dead. And everybody's already out. Yeah, yeah. and Wang's just looking at him and just looks at him, you know, gives him a little <laughs> smile, and then they run. I mean, doesn't have to say anything. There's nothing to be said. Jack has shown his colors as usual, um, but yeah. <laughs> At some point, a giant hairy monster shows up, and one of those mad balls from the 80s starts flying around. <laughs> yes, right? Uh, that definitely happens soon. But, oh oh. Um, I, yeah, there's so much great action, so much 80s movie in all of that that just happened. And, of course, then they get together with Egg Shen, um, and uh, we get to Egg Shen's house. Do you recognize Egg Shen's house? Oh, I don't. What what am I missing? It's the firehouse from Ghostbusters. Oh my goodness! One of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, me too. And it, it wasn't until like a year or two ago that I looked up from painting and went, "Wait, wait, what is is that?" And then I looked it up, and sure enough, it is. It is actually the firehouse from Ghostbusters. <laughs> Same one. Who would have thunk? I love it. Yep. So they did that. They go to Egg's house, um, and they get together with some of the. Um, I'm gonna mispronounce it. The, the the good guys. Uh, the Zay, the Zangs, the Zang. I mm, bad yes. prep. I can't. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but I do love that uh, Jack looks at these guys and goes, "Hey, uh, you guys speak of the English." And you know, <laughs> they look at him like, "Are you an it?" Yes, are you an idiot? And you know, perfect American <laughs> English, brilliant. Uh, again, Jack's an idiot. Um, yeah, but we, you know, and all this time we see the Gracie and Miao Yin um, talking to Lo Pan in the background, and it's cutting back and forth. So we're getting a lot of backstory in the preparation for the big infiltration for the end. So we sort of have this middle adventure in the middle of the plot, and we're going to sort of ramp into the big infiltration slash attack on, you know, Lopan's base to stop the wedding because Lopan's got to marry one of the girls, but then we find out he's going to marry both of the girls and then kill one of them and live out his earthly pleasures with the other one. Um, because they broke in to rescue a girl, and they escaped and left behind two girls. Two girls. The girl they are going to rescue and another girl. And uh, I don't know which one you would like to be, but uh, I'm not sure which I would like to be, the one that gets killed or the one that's living out their earthly pleasures with eight foot tall, you know, scary monster low pan. Just saying. Yeah, it's, you know, it's hard to say. It is. It is. Um, but there, I do love that as part of the ceremony to see if they are both, uh, you know, re, you know uh, what is the word? Um, that they can survive the experience or that they are qualified to be Lopan's wives. Um, the storms have sort of the dance off of the century, um, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> it's just like random slow-mo dance off between all the storms. <laughs> You're going to wonder to yourself, have I been hit in the head? Do I have an extreme fever? <laughs> What's exactly. happening to me? 
<laughs> and I do love how Thunder is basically wearing, um, just for a quick G.I. Joe aside, uh, did you ever see the alternate uh, repaint of Destro that they did at some point that basically, the people basically called the Disco Destro? It's not the gold yes. helmet Destro. It's the Destro in like a purple jumpsuit that's lined yes. with leopard yes, print. Yes, I, I, I'm a big G.I. Joe figure collector and I have that known as Disco De Destro or in some circles, Pimp Destro. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Thunder is pretty much wearing that outfit with a little, like the top <laughs> half missing. Um, he's like, check out my muscles. I'm wearing Destro's gear. And yeah, terrifying outfit. Uh, but yes. Um, I, it, so then we have the uh, infiltration of the base. Um, so at this point, we have, you know, all the guys uh, in the basically the yellow sashes slash turbans from the beginning of the movie, the good guys um, teaming up with Egg Shen, with Jack, with Wang. And they are all trying to get into the Wang Chung uh, exchange, but they, they can't go in through the front door. So they're going through so this underground hidden route through the sewers and, um, it, you know. They introduce the idea of the black blood of the earth, and Jack's like, oh, oil. And he's like, no, the black blood of the earth. Again, reinforcing Jack doesn't know anything about what's happening in this universe. And it does sort of beautifully line up that neither do we. Um, but the <laughs> giant the monster. Audience. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Jack, you know, completely out of his depth, and this giant monster comes out and eats a guy, and Jack's like, I can't even cope with this. And meanwhile, Egg nonchalantly pulls out a, uh, a little magical rock egg explosive device, whatever, out of his six demon bag, throws it, blows up, <laughs> and Jack's like, what isn't going to come out? And egg basically, yeah, it's over. Don't worry about it. So, yes, amazing. <laughs> uh, we have our wedding dress scene where everyone gets in, the way, uh, gets in their wedding dresses. Um, Gracie wakes up early, but is, of course, put back under by sorcery. Again, I think that's just really speaking volumes about Gracie as a character. Um, she isn't just your random dame in a dress. She's actually a, a real character who can do things, um, which given that this is an 80s action, comedy, whatever movie, that's a little rare. Um, but yeah, uh, I do love that when they finally do infiltrate into the base, uh, they land on the emergency supplies. Did you catch what those were? And the emergency supplies. What were they? What were they? I, a, I feel like I know this. It was a giant pile of rotting fish being eaten by rats. <laughs> <laughs> Not great. <laughs> Everywhere you look, there's some bizarre <laughs> this movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. Yes, yes. And then, as the you said, the mad ball head. You get the giant yes. uh, floating head mad. with all the eyeballs. Um which gives us another plot device where Lopan's able to explain uh, his plot of marrying both women and then going through, uh, killing one of them and living on. And, um, yeah, <laughs> we could move on from there. Um, we then get to, of course, the greatest part, um, sort of pre-action scene buildup um, in one of my favorite parts of, you know, Sometimes you have those wonderful action scenes, but before that, you have the build-up to it. And I do love this one where they all end up in Lopan's office where they confronted Lopan the first time in their wheelchairs. And Egg pulls out his, uh, his magical gourd, and they all have a drink. They all do the shot, and they do the toasts. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So they can see things that no one else can see and do things that no one else can do. And then they have a really awkward elevator ride down where they're all feeling pretty good and looking at each other. And Jack's saying... <laughs> Is it getting warm in here? Um, 
think they're all getting a little excited. But uh, <laughs> some of those toasts were, I was not expecting the American flag, uh, may these colors never run sort of uh, quotes. Are those military quotes or are those sort of John Carpenter made up things? You are, <laughs> you're a veteran. Have you heard those before? Yeah, these colors don't run and all that stuff. Yes. Yeah, they do. I have heard those in the in the military. They were very like the whole elevator ride. They're sort of like mixing metaphors and <laughs> yes. quotes, and it's it, it's a perfect microcosm of the whole movie. There's just a lot of amusing, somewhat random things being said. Like the whole movie is amusing, random things being done. Yes, but yes, yes, these colors don't run and. Oh, goodness. May the, may the wings of uh, liberty never lose a feather, I think is another yeah, one. Yeah, may the wings of liberty never lose a feather. That's right. Now, that one I've never heard before. Yeah. Um, but they're all very, very patriotic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, as I said, I did grow up on uh, military bases in the 80s uh, in, in Japan, and so U.S. military bases. So I would have thought I would have heard at least some of those. Uh, I, I, but, again, I was probably not in bars at that point. Uh, That's true. Yeah. Well, um, of course, we then get to the wedding, and all hell breaks loose, uh, pretty much mm-hmm. literally. Uh, as talked about before, we have you know a fantastic sword fight between Wang and we have uh, and Rain. Uh, we have lightning sort of detonating stuff all over the place. Egg Shen zapping him out for a little while. Thunder likewise is taken out by Egg. Little old man with the six demon bags. You know, laying out fools left, right, and center, and then you know to get the boss fight. And I think this is super eighties that you oh, have yes. the battle between Lopan and Egg, and you know they basically both shoot magical energy in front of them, and it creates this avatar fight where you know the swordsmen are going. But if you look at the way they're moving their hands, it's like they're playing Atari or Nintendo. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's literally they're playing video games um, with a little more effort. Uh, meanwhile, this whole time, Jack is, of course, trapped under a suit of armor that he stabbed with his <laughs> knife, and he's trying to get himself free. Uh, do you have anything you want to add to that? Because there's just so much that happens in that oh scene. Oh, my gosh. There's so much going on. I The most memorable thing to me is is what you already hit upon, how each of the Asian mystics create their own being. Mm-hmm. And so they don't physically battle each other, but their beings uh, battle each other. And it's very glowy, and like one's very green one's very red i think mm-hmm. of the two colors it feels very like star warsy yes but then at the same time with a video game flavor with an asian mysticism flavor mm-hmm. it's very memorable yeah it's very cool and and then at the end i think it ends in a draw and of course low pan never won to uh, be a good loser sort of looks up and says you never could beat me egg shen um but meanwhile i'm thinking well you didn't win so <laughs> I guess. But you didn't lose. You didn't, didn't lose. lose. I guess that's the important part. But, uh, you know, and there's all sorts of explosions going on. And I got to say, also, how um, circa 1980s Chinatown is the decor in that. Because the temple is, you know, old stone, you know, everything. Meanwhile, neon bands oh, around yeah. the sides of the ceiling <laughs> and it all on the like giant a- skull. It's going, hmm. Like they filmed it in some sort of like really elaborate Chinese buffet. <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> Which maybe like one of those really big Chinese buffet places you could do. <laughs> yes. Oh man, it, it's 
it's it's almost as though uh, that was John Carpenter's uh, you know thought process for this movie is ah oh, how can I make this happen in an Asian buffet? But mm. <laughs> that sounds delicious. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I guess I know where he met Kurt Russell to talk about this movie. Um, yeah, and of course, then we get um, the fight. I guess is still kind of raging down below, uh, but um, Lopan escapes with Miao Yin. Uh, Gracie connects with Jack. Um, they fight off the uh, you know, orangutan monster. Finally, Jack gets involved in the fight. Um, and they take Jack and uh, Gracie take the elevator up. Meanwhile, uh, Wang has chased Lo Pan and Miao Yin through the giant skull on the end of the room that we've been talking about. Thunder, you know, drops the skull so no one can follow them. And then Egg Shannon, um, wanting to make sure it stays sealed, blows it up. Um, blocking that way out. But that leaves sort of Jack and Wang and uh, Gracie to be the only ones who can stop Lopan. Meanwhile, Lopan is trying to uh, finish the ceremony to become flesh, um, ultimately succeeds, is reunited with Thunder, and then they're just about to sort of come to the realization of, oh, I think we probably have to kill um, Meow Yin now. When everyone storms in. Meanwhile, Jack and Gracie have been making out in the elevator. So Jack goes through pretty much the entire end of the movie uh, with <laughs> giant smeared lip, like fire engine lipstick. red lipstick all over his face. <laughs> that was my son's favorite part. He couldn't stop laughing about how you get this big muscle bound hero and he's basically got a big lipstick smooch on his lips for the rest of the movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then you get the um you know of course wang and thunder go off for the martial arts fight and this is one that wang actually uh i think we can clearly see is not gonna win and th- he's basically doing the uh the looney tunes thing of in the background meanwhile you know lopan and gracie are uh, sorry lopan and jack are facing off against gracie uh, sorry ah, lopan is facing off against Jack, Gracie, and then eventually Mao Yin. Um, and while that action's happening in the background, of course, you know, you see things flying and um, Wang basically running and Thunder like running by, destroying things and then chasing after him. So you get it's, yeah, very, it's very re- like Scooby Doo. Yes. <laughs> Scooby Doo, Roadrunner, same idea. Yes. yes. <sighs> but then, of course, Jack's like, okay, I got this. I can do this. Pulls out his trusty knife that he's pulled out every single scene in the movie just about <laughs> and throws it at Lopin, who catches it, looks at it, and he's like, does a, a sort of nonchalant, oh, very nice knife, and says the goodbye, Mr. Burton, and throws the knife, at which point we go back to that scene that you talked about earlier in the movie. Catches uh-huh. it, flips it, throws it back, and catches Lohan, Lohan in the forehead with it. And we get the famous uh, re-utterance of the line, it's all in the reflexes. It's all in the reflexes. Yeah. I never drive faster than I can see. That's right. Oh, I forgot. Of course. So that's said three <laughs> times in the, the movie. Reflexes. It's all in the reflexes. Yeah, he mentions it in his first discussion oh, on the radio. Of course. And then he then he tells Wang at the at the after the gambling, and then of course he tells it to the bad guy once. That's right. Got to do it in threes, man. That's a movie rule. That is that is. I do love though that right before he <laughs> before Lopan throws it, he throws it and Lopan catches it, and you just see the look of disappointment on Jack's face. He's like, <laughs> oh man, he's he's like a it's kid like who got convenient. caught. Yeah, I know. He's like, 
dang. And, then he, <laughs> and he looks at Gracie, and Gracie's like, I, come on, man. <laughs> he just looks worse. He gives him a disappointed look. He gives him a disappointed look. When was the last time you saw oh, yeah. a heroine actually look at the hero and you know, give <laughs> a character like, oh. that look? Come on. Oh, my one God. job. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> um yeah so that 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 of course is the end of Lopan and um Wang then runs into the room uh thankfully at this point Jack's face is cleaned right as uh you know Wang's running in thunder sees Lopan blowing up and does his inflation trick doesn't stop everyone runs um again we see the curry curry knife come out and thunder inflates himself like a giant balloon and then blows himself up Man, that that blow up makeup um, terrified me as a kid. I think more than almost anything else in this movie. It was like, oh God, no, ooh. Um, and you know, <laughs> it's nice to see that. While on one hand, it's definitely dated a bit. Um, you know, pre CGI, it it holds up surprisingly not bad. Um, no, it's just fun. It's it's fun, like the vibe of the whole movie. Exactly. Um, now, uh, Rain, of course, was killed in the sword fight in the big battle, which I didn't mention, but that leaves us one storm that they have to survive, and that is Thunder, uh, sorry, not Thunder, Lightning, um, who sort of blocks their exit, and Egg Shen pulls out, um, you know, one of those awesome zipline pistols that, you know, crossbow that shoots the line down, and then they all zip up to escape. Uh, mm -hmm. I do love that they, you know, they're all looking up at him going, how did you get up there and he explains it away with a it wasn't easy um, <laughs> again this movie gets away with so much just because of the way it's written and you're like oh yeah that's fine of course, of course. <laughs> whereas any other movie you'd be like wait how did he get up there um anyway uh uh lightning is done in by egg dropping the uh the giant rock uh through the ceiling on him sort of that ends that and uh, our heroes all escape. And we have sort of the, well, they all, they find Jack's truck. Jack, of course, can't find the keys um, until Gracie reminds him he's got a spare set. Again, bumbling hero and reasonable heroine. Uh, and we get back to Wayne's, sorry, Wang's restaurant for the last scene. Uh, anything you want to say about anything that we've talked about before we get into the conclusion? Oh, man. No, I, I got I'll have I'll have two items of note after the conclusion. Yeah. All right. I, I have a lot of awesome to say about the conclusion, but um, <laughs> let's let's summarize it as um, you know, there's a little celebration, private celebration in Wang's restaurant with Eddie and Margot where they sort of hook up. Um, and then we have Jack and Gracie, and we'll get to that in a second. We have, of course, Meow Yin and um, Wang. It is interesting to say that of all the strong empowered women in this movie, uh, Miao Yin says, I think five words in the entire movie. And I'd like to point out that none of them, she's on camera. You hear her saying, no, stop, wait. When Lo Pan's trying to stick her with the needle right before Jack and Gracie storm in. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. and, and this, you still don't get to hear her say anything, but okay. They are together. And then, um, you know, Uncle Chu's, of course, there, and Egg. And Egg goes for his uh, his ride off into the sunset, so to speak, and leaves. And Jack, of course, says the, oh, now this is all sorted out. Are you gonna head back, ba you know, head back to China? And um, you know, we get the, 
China's in the heart, and then leaves. Apparently doesn't go very far because then he has to be interviewed by the defense lawyer at the beginning of the movie. Anyway. <laughs> um, and, of course, Jack then, it's Jack's time to leave. And um, though Margot sort of goads him into the, hey, aren't you, aren't you going to kiss Gracie? And, you know, aren't we going to have that sort of ride off into the sunset together? And she even offers to go with him. Jack says, nah. Nah. And smiles and walks away, which, again, I can't think of a movie in the 80s, or now for that matter, where you would get that buildup and then, nah, and then walks. Nah. <laughs> so good. Uh, and that sort of ends Big Trouble in Little China until sort of what you would what you would get these days as the post credit scene. But in this is just at the end. Um, before we get to Jack driving off in the rain, I know you had things you wanted to say. Talk us out, man. Oh, man. Just a couple of, of notes. One's a small trivia note, but I just, for some reason, I thought it was interesting. Mm. I learned recently on another podcast I listened to that uh, Kim Cattrall mm -hmm. was one of the last what you would call studio players. Oh, was she? You know how back in the day, like, an actor, yeah, an actor and actress would be tied to a studio and a contract. She was like a universal studio player. Like one of the last, if not the last, someone who had an exclusive contract with a studio. So I, I heard that on another podcast. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I don't know why, but I just thought it was. Hmm. That and is interesting. At the end of the day, I just want to I want to point out one thing about this movie that I just find fascinating. I'm going to give you a number and then you tell me why it's fascinating. Yeah. You ready for this? OK, hold on. Oof. If you don't know. Pressure, pressure. Know, OK, I'll, go I'll ahead. Help you. Yeah. If you, it's okay if you're like I, I'm not sure where you're going with this, Jared. I yeah. will help you. The number is two thousand two hundred ninety-six. Two thousand two hundred. Oh, uh, is that how much money that uh, Wang yes. paid Jack? Yeah. Except that isn't yes. how much he paid Jack. <laughs> he it was it was one thousand. I think he's one thousand one hundred forty-eight. They did mm -hmm. a double or nothing. Yeah. Which took it to twenty-two ninety-six is how much he owed him. Yeah. So. At the end of this, this wild adventure of monsters and demons and mm -hmm. all this, Jack did all of this yep. for $2,296. But he didn't because, uh, and this, actually, I'm, I'm looking at it. I, it's in my notes, and I didn't say it. He, uh, When Wang hands him the check, he says, nothing but triple. And Jack goes, no, it was nothing but double. And Wang says, no, you earned it. Nothing but triple. And then if it was any other movie, the hero would be like, no, nah, I don't need that. Jack goes, okay, folds the check and puts it in his pocket. <laughs> so, yes, ultimately he did make, okay, I'll do the math on it. Ultimately he did make, what was that, one thousand forty-eight. He made $3,444 off of it. But he essentially got into the trouble yes. for the for the two, to just two roll over two grand. <laughs> and uh, I was talking with my coworker about it today because I was talking about we were going to mm -hmm. do this movie, and I gave him that factoid, and he was like, "Man, I think I would have just skipped out on all that and let it be a two thousand dollar loss." Yes. <laughs> said, yeah, but man, what an adventure! Yeah. Well, but, originally, um, this was supposed to be a western, and in uh, and then the studio made him put it in, uh, made John Carpenter set it in the modern age, um, and because of that, you know how Jack's always sort of banging on about his truck. Um, it was supposed to be Jack and his horse. So, yes, he did it for two grand, but it was supposed to be for a sum of money and to get his horse back, which he lost mm -hmm. in one of the opening scenes. So, yeah. It, it, 
two grand. And while you're oh. thinking, man, that's not a lot of money. Um, I do know from your show, uh, when you were talking about Point Break, you mentioned that they went for two meatball subs, two lemonades, and something else for $7. Seven for seven fifty. Seven fifty yes. in California <laughs> in 1991. So uh, if we take that and extrapolate it back even further to the 80s. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's a lot of meatball subs. That's a lot of meatball subs. And you would think three grand, not much money, but inflation's a hell of a thing. So, uh, you know, Jack could have been rich, especially, uh, you know, if you're driving a truck, you may not be rolling in it. Um, that said, right. I know some people that drive trucks and are rolling in it. So <laughs> true story. Uh, a couple fun facts about this movie. Um, when you see the characters flashing, oh, I should probably finish the movie first. Uh, so then, of course, Jack drives off into the distance and we get the great jump scare of the orangutan monster, um, which wasn't killed in the movie. It was only kicked in the knee by Jack, I think. Um it jumps out of the back of Jack's rig, and um, that sort of sets up that Jack's going to see some trouble uh, in the future. But that concludes mm -hmm. Big Trouble in Little China. Before I get into the, the fun factoids, because um, I got a couple from IMDb and other places, uh, your thoughts overall? I think we've been pretty clear on our feelings on this movie. <laughs> yes. At the end of the day, it's a hodgepodge of weirdness in the most glorious way. Yes. If you just want fun, wacky, and extreme creativity mixed with the, all the gloriousness of the 80s with a dash of awesome Kurt Russell playing a guy, like you said, who's not – he's not a typical hero. He's heroic. He has good heart about him, but he's right. he's – the the he's the dumbest guy in the movie. He's not yes. dumb. He's just the most uninformed guy in the movie. Mm. Uh, but he doesn't care. He's still down to help his friends. So it's just end to end a wild ride. Let the movie wash over you. Don't analyze it. Don't nitpick it. And just get a get a box of popcorn and have a blast. That's yeah, that's how I'll wrap it. Oh, and I could not. Yeah, I I don't have anything to add to that. That is it in a nutshell. <laughs> um, this is a movie that um, is easily in my top five most watched movies of all time. Um, in fact, oh, I, wow. have, I have a friend and I yeah, that's saying something. I have a friend that constantly whenever I used to put up little like pictures or quotes on Facebook whenever I watched it every year. And I had a friend who said, will you please stop doing that? I'm tired of seeing <laughs> pictures of low pan on your feed. And when I'll do it once a year, and he's like, that's too often. And I went, okay. You said, shut up. <laughs> exactly. Shut up. <laughs> shut, up. <laughs> shut up, Mr. Barton. Oh, yes. Um, now, uh, from the main credits of this, you know, they have um, they, the, the movie show, you know, it says the name of the movie, the beginning of the movie. Well, the music's playing, and Jack's sort of screaming into the night on his um, mic microphone. Sorry. Uh, while that's playing, the characters actually translate to not big trouble in Little China. Evil spirits make a big scene in a little spiritual state. Fun fact. <laughs> Yeah, that's good times. Yeah, that is good times. Um, yeah, and I got to say, for those of you who aren't familiar or fans of uh, John Carpenter movies, what's wrong with you? Um, the Thing, uh, Escape from New York. I mean, there are just so many wonderful John Carpenter movies. And that, that, of course, is just a couple that he happened to also have done with Kurt Russell. Um, but John, mm -hmm. I love John Carpenter. And if you don't Same know here. anything about... John Carpenter, you should know that he does the move, the music in almost 
every one of the movies that he does, or at least a lot of them, mm-hmm. including this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. So if you're wondering where all Halloween. those- Halloween. Yeah, exactly. Halloween. Um, on Precinct 13. <sighs> that really awesome vampires movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, the even, Actually, like, I don't know if you're being sarcastic, but I like that movie. <laughs> I do, and yet I get such grief for it. When that movie came out, I was like, John Carpenter's doing a vampire movie. We gotta go. And I took all my friends in New Orleans in the 90s, and they're still giving me hell for it. Um, oh, screw them, man. Yeah. That movie was awesome. It's, it is. James Woods at literally his best. Um, yes. Top yeah, form. Top form. Only, only. Uh, so, uh, so when... I don't know if you noticed when you're watching the brothel scene uh, and you're looking at Kurt Russell, he seems to be um, wet or nervous or uh, you know pink. Uh, if it's because when he uh, when they film those scenes, he actually was running an incredibly high fever, um, and so they couldn't stop him from sweating, so they just let him sweat. Um, oh. So true story. Um, that and the scene right after. Uh, the brothel, um, when he is, he looks soaked, it's because he is. He's actually sweat himself, actually ridiculous. And if you actually want to see Egg Shen's bus, um, it is, it was a 1936 touring car, and it is now in Yellowstone National Park. Uh, and it has a name called Hollywood. And if you ever go out to see Old Faithful and you see that bus, that's the bus from Big Trouble in Little China, that actual bus. <laughs> Still working today. Um, this was, of course, wow. yeah, right. Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> um, and this was John Carpenter's last studio movie. Um, he was really fed up with the way that the studio like really made his life miserable. They made him change the setting. Um, they they tried to get him to not use Kurt Russell because he was not box office gold at this point. Um, to the point where. Kurt Russell was actually acknowledging the fact that he was not box office gold and had been in a string of flops. And when he, when um, John Carpenter turned to him and said, "Look, let's do this movie," Kurt looked at him and said, "I don't, I, I, I don't think I want to do that. Like, I, I'm terrible right now. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to help your movie. You should get someone better." Mm-hmm. And John Carpenter, you know, to his credit, just looked at him and said, "I don't care." I want to make another movie with you. Let's do it. And they have made a lot of movies together. So I thought it was awesome that he stuck to his guns like that. Um, Definitely. But by adding the scene at the beginning um, to making Wang be another actor, um, Wang was originally slated or was written to be Jackie Chan. Can you imagine oh. this movie? <laughs> With now post... I love the guy who played Wang. But yeah, I want to see this. <laughs> yeah, right. With post um, police story Jackie Chan. Oh gosh! Right. Thank you, studio. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> the guy who plays Wang is amazing. I, I I love him. I'm glad he's there. He's one of my favorite, you know, action '80s characters. However. Jackie Chan. I still, yeah, I, I want to see the alternate reality version. No slight to the guy who played Wang. He's very good. Yes. I want to see the Jackie Chan version. I do. Oh, God. That would be amazing. Um, and I think I have, oh, one last note. The name of the band that wrote this, the theme song is, of course, called Coupe de Ville. Um, and that's John Carpenter um, and his second unit director um, with a couple of other people. <laughs> so, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Um, and just a fun fact, if you watch the movie carefully, um, 
Lopan when he's putting the needle of love in Meow Yin, and yes, that does sound dodgy. Um, the actor <laughs> actually stabbed um, the actress in a little too hard, and you can actually see her physically flinch. Uh, and it looks so good that they kept it in the movie. And one last fun fact. Um, if you look at Egg, Sh- Egg Shen's bus, um, it's called Hollywood, as I said. Uh, of course, it doesn't have the Chinese characters on the side anymore. But if you read the Chinese characters in this particular movie, apparently it says Uncle Egg's tours guarantee a good time. <laughs> oh, that's accurate, right? That's truth in advertising. Yes, it does. <laughs> and that... You know who I was wondered? Yeah. I always wondered. When he's given his tour and he's talking about, and you know, they built this lovely town, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Chinatown you see before, they keep going back into this quote unquote crowd shot of people on the top of the bus. Mm-hmm. They keep focusing on like this, this kind of, you know, a little slightly overweight middle-aged guy with his camera. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, is he, is he somebody? Cause they, they keep, they keep yeah, focusing, like go back yeah. to that guy, back to that guy. And I'm like, he's gotta be like Carpenter's brother. Exactly. <laughs> like, I, I, I'll get you in this movie. Uncle Steve. <laughs> Somebody paid yeah, someone to get know. him in there. I just always thought that was weird. I'm like, there's there's like literally 20 people or 30 people on this bus. They keep looking at the same guy when they go to their crowd shots. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Anyway, it is. No, I, I, I these completely are agree. Yeah, exactly. These are the kind of thoughts that keep me out of the really good schools. Um, <laughs> ah, uh, all right. Well, Jared, I think um, I think that pretty much sums up Big Trouble in Little China. Guys, I, I know this may not have been as comprehensive a look, uh, and possibly it may just be us <laughs> laughing at our notes. Um, uh, yeah, I think probably. The, I think the Bond episode <laughs> probably had a little better content as far as, um, you know, uh, possibly listening to Factor. But uh, well, it, I gotta, you got to admit, though, the way this movie is, it's hard. We've given an accurate representation of the film yeah. <laughs> with our with our scatterbrainness here. We're we're giving you yeah. This is the vibe, man. It's a scatterbrain movie in a wonderful way. Yeah, exactly, in a wonderful way, and oh, it's 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 great. And I know there was a lot of people who said, "Oh, are you actually going to do Zulu?" Which you mentioned uh, previously, and I went, "Oh, that would have been much easier." Oh my god, would yeah. have been easier. Zulu, we would have had like point by point notes and yep. like okay. Probably would have been like, and then there was like a mad ball flying around, and then you know, (laughs) and lightning. Ooh, Uh, (laughs) yeah, exactly. But to to think, I mean, what uh, we probably could have done Zulu in about forty-five minutes. Um, (laughs) Probably, yeah, and gone and and done really straight. You know, pretty good job on that. But uh, you know, I do need to refresh on Zulu. I need a refresh on Zulu. We'll, yeah, me too. we'll put that one on our radar. Yes, yes. We'll have to pick something a little easier next time. But, man, I got to say, as always, it is a damn pleasure to have you on. Um, now, I do want to spruik your show again, uh, you and your brother, uh, The Weasel Skull on Twitter. Uh, yes. Uh, Jason, uh, you guys have uh, the action film face-off is a sensational show. As I talked about, you guys compared Thor Ragnarok and Point Break on the most recent episode. Um, Mm -hmm. But I've been listening to all of them. They are truly fantastic. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Um, And unlike this show where it's... (laughs) 
was all over the place today. Um, you guys give a brief synopsis, and I do mean brief. Uh, it's just a couple minute synopsis from each film. You talk about it, but what I really like about that show is um, you each offer a movie, but it's not a competition. It's sort of an, right. an examination uh, and a celebration of action movies. Um, and then you yes. go through the categories. So why don't you quickly explain that? Because you'll do it a better job than I am. Oh, you think you did a great job. Uh, Jason and I actually run an, an actual randomizer set between 1970 and 2018. So mm -hmm. you'll hear that at the end of every show. So, okay, next episode we're going to pick a film from, and then he'll assign me one. And it's no BS, folks. We use a real randomizer. So, you know, you'll get 19. You know what? I'll give you, I'm going to give you a peek behind the curtain. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> We've recorded an episode that is not yet released. Oh. And at the end of that episode, we ran the randomizer. And Jason got 1977, and I got 1983. Oh, yeah. 80s. And, and so as soon as so we say, well, you know, what will that film be? Well, come next time. We'll let you know. We'll also tweet it out a little early. We usually tweet it out about a week early before we air a show so that people can watch it if they want to. Give them a whole week to kind of watch the films if mm -hmm. they want to refresh. And and so that's we're legitimately using a randomizer. And, and, and then, like Brad said, we just bring the two films together. We score them in six categories, which I believe are story. Mm -hmm. uh, the hero, mm -hmm. the villain, spectacle, best action scene, and then we have round six, which is the deduction round. If right. There's things in the movie that we think are silly, and Jason and I really try to take it from a a a, a, a well a moviegoer's obviously point of view, but a militaristic point of view. Jason and I are both mm -hmm. veterans, so we're paying keen attention to gun tactics and that kind of stuff mm -hmm. as well. And so it's 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 a hodgepodge of that and a lot of fun and a lot of goofiness. And then, like you said, we crown a winner at the end based on our scores. You know, six rounds, each round one to ten for each of us. We add up the scores, and we crown a winner. But just because it's a winner doesn't mean there's a loser. Right. Because we do champion the best parts of every film. Exactly. And it's the kind of show where you'll, watch, or you'll listen to it and you'll say, okay, well, this was the champion. That's cool. But what we're really hoping is that we're lighting a flame within you to want to watch both films. Exactly. Yes, there's a winner, but there's not really a loser uh, which sounds weird, I know, but yeah, that's just me. Actually, you did a better job explaining my show than I did. Hey. Uh, but that's that's how it works. And well, uh, that is a stark contrast, of course, to the James Bond podcast um, on your on her major on Her Majesty's Secret podcast, where the Rookie Agent show, where Delvin and Pat. Uh, have the competition running between show <laughs> and the rules there specifically say that the winner mm -hmm. must lord it over uh, the other until the next yeah, episode. That's true. Nice. And they do. They do that to each other. Do they? <laughs> yes. In, in text chats, they do uh, occasionally needle each other, remind each other who the current champion is, mm -hmm. things of that nature. But yes, uh, and, and again, if you're interested in, in action film face-off, just subscribe to Longbox Crusade. Mm -hmm. It falls under that umbrella. And come, come check us out. Oh, we're, you know what? No, I'm going to give you another peek behind the scenes. Yes. Okay. You may be familiar with the fact that, and I don't mean to turn your show into a commercial, but we do a thing called Crusaders Club. Yes, you do. And it, that's basically our Patreon. Mm -hmm. and if anybody's out there interested, by all means, check it out. But I don't mean to do a commercial here. But if you're a Patreon member or Crusaders Club members, we like to say, we are offering up to let our members drive some show content. So Ooh. I don't think that's going to be something new you're going to be seeing on Action Film Face-Off. I think we'll get our random years, and then I'll probably narrow it down to two films from my random year, and then mm -hmm. I'll put up a poll for that only our patrons can see, and they can vote. So they will determine which movie I'm going to use. 
wants to narrow it down to two. And I assume Jason will do the same. So that's kind of a thing we're trying to incorporate our Crusaders club members. We like to give our club members, uh, you know, some say in what happens and make it more fun and interactive for them. Again, not not so much as a commercial here, but just as something kind of fun we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And um, man, I I gotta say, I as I say, I'm a mass uh, consumer of y'all's media. I love it. I listen to it all the time. It is a nice break from reality uh, when I'm walking <laughs> to work sometimes, and you know, got to get that good cheerful mood going. Um, I love the positivity of y'all's show. I mean, it's very easy yeah, to look thank at you. pop culture things. Um, and to be, you know, negative, a lot of the internet sort of throws out um, a lot of shade. Um, when I was doing mm-hmm. some research for this episode, I listened to a few podcasts about Big Trouble in Little China. And you're like, did you guys even like this movie? Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm glad you pick up on that vibe because under all the long box umbrella, to include on Her Majesty's Secret podcast, that's right. our, our big theme is we will never, ever be those snarky guys because – there's a million snarky guys podcasts out there. Yep. And, and, you know, some people are into that and I'm cool with that. Uh, that's fine. But that's not us. Yeah. Like you said, sometimes you listen to shows and you go, well, do you guys enjoy this? Because all you do is just bag on it. And I honestly think, this is just my personal opinion, I think that's one of the simplest forms of entertainment. Yeah. I, I know we're getting kind of serious on your show right now, but I think it's really simple to just tear something down. It is. And I'm not, I'm not terribly interested in that. What jazzes me up is when I listen to somebody's podcast and they're like, this is something I love, and this is why I love it. And mm-hmm. there's a handful of comic books that I never would—I never would have read Warlord if it wasn't for Ruth and Darren's Warlord Worlds podcast. Mm-hmm. I never would have read Blue Devil or or Fire. Well, I did like Firestorm before I met Shag, but you know, Blue Devil before Shag on the Fire mm-hmm. and Water podcast. When people talk about their passions, it's engaging. You get fired up. There's a fire in your belly, and I mm-hmm. hope we did that tonight. I hope somebody tuned in today and said, "I've never seen this." big trouble show these guys made it sound like a complete wacky screwball amazing thing i need to go see it that's what i hope we did yeah exactly and it, i i think it's a little late in the show to say this but if you haven't watched big trouble in little china <laughs> you need to turn this podcast off right now spoilers and go watch it we might have some spoilers <laughs> one or two yeah we came we came late with the spoiler warning but come on man it's 33 exactly. years old Exactly. Yeah, I think uh, we did remember to put the spoiler one in on the last one. So eh, I'm new to this media coverage thing. But, uh, now, you know, the last one I do want to point out, I gave you a peek behind the curtain mm-hmm. on our upcoming recording. Jason's got 1977. I've got 1983. Ooh, yeah. Never Say Never Again came out in 1993. So it's seriously considering selecting that film for my choice. Oh, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. <laughs> So Jason's got 77, so that means he's got uh, Spy Who Loved Me, and he's got Star Wars as options. So can you do this? Can you do the Holy Trilogy though? I mean, can you? <laughs> I mean, I've got 83, so I could use Return of the Jedi. Oh, we could use this. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to see. Yeah, I'm reminded of that great meme where uh, it says when you're posted on the on the jungle planet, and all of a sudden uh, the jungle starts to speak teddy bear. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's bad. Oh, no, man. I'm really well, glad you did. I'm really glad you pick up our vibe of positivity. I'm glad you, you, you pump our shows and it means a lot to us. So thank you very much. Well, thank you. Uh, as I said, uh, as a podcaster, it's nice to um, to, 
inspired to listen to other people's stuff. I, I, I'm greatly inspired by y'all's work, and um, that's why I keep inviting y'all back. Uh, it, I am actually legitimately disappointed um, and sad that Jason couldn't join us today, and I'm hoping to get both Albrick brothers on at some point to... Uh, It'll to, happen. Yeah, It'll happen. to cause some trouble on the internets. Uh, and, on the internets! <laughs> Hey, and if uh, if we ever want to talk Transformers and tabletop gaming, I might have to get Delvin on or GI Joe. Have to get Pat on, man. You guys are uh, you guys are my heroes. I love you. But um, th- I mean, it's one of the things. <laughs> we love you back. Yeah. Well, it's one of those things that I also try and try and uh, while I'm standing on the soapbox, I might as well use it um, to be positive here. I- I've mentioned before on this podcast that if you're listening to this. Um, Typically, I tend, I mean, I've been accused of being a fanboy of um, a lot of the games that I talk about on the show, um, but that's intentional. Uh, Again, I am uh, like you. It's really easy to find negative things on the internet. I try and point out the positive. Um, I recently got together with a really good friend of mine um, who's been listening to a lot of the old Cast Ice um, back episodes because he's been on school holidays. And uh, about a half an hour to hang out with me, he went, Oh, yeah. I forgot that in real life you swear a lot and you're not nearly as positive. Um, <laughs> I went, oh, well, I'll take that as the compliment for the show. I think it is. <laughs> Maybe I should try and apply that to real life. Uh, but as you say, um, if if I'm not talking about something, it doesn't mean I don't like it. But if I am talking about something, it means I do. Um, there so, you go. Yeah. Same, same. Exactly. Well, ladies and gentlemen, um, I am hoping, uh, again, I think in this show I mentioned uh, Christian Blatt of the Blattcast. Uh, If not, I definitely did it off air. Uh, He's been a guest on in the past to talk about non-gaming topics. And in the coming month or two, uh, we are going to go on a deep dive. uh, And I mean deep dive of the original black and white uh, Eastman and Lard, uh, Laird, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic books, the original story arc with the shredder and the foot and the turtles being sort of kicked out to uh, Northampton uh, and then coming back in the triumphant return to New York. Uh, and we're going to juxtapose that to the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie. Uh, the Ooh. live action one. So, yeah. Yeah. Talk about um, very strange, uh, you know, it, it, taking gaming and um, the Venn diagram of gaming and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle classic ones. Not even like when they all had red headbands. Not even you know they didn't right. eat pizza and they didn't say cowbunga. They swore and bled and drank beer. Um, those Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and gaming. That little tiny sliver of the Venn diagram. That's that's where this podcast is going to be throwing the dart. So uh, that look yeah, for that I, in the I, coming months. I recently dipped a, a tiny toe into that sliver, uh, a an infrequent show that we do, maybe quarterly is what we're looking at on mm. our network. We do Comics to Console Crusade. I don't yes. know if you've heard that one. Yes, I have. And, uh, and, and we talk about mm-hmm. uh, comic book characters that have transited into video games and how well they made it transfer. And we did Ninja Turtles, Turtles in Time, the video game. And during that episode, we did talk a little bit about how it compares to those original Roots. So we looked at it more from a video game point of view. I'm very interested to see how how you compare it up with that 1990 film. That's that's good stuff, man. Yeah. Well, talk about a podcast that has pages upon pages of notes. Um, <laughs> so uh, that will be a podcast that will be very heavily structured to make sure that uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of good jokes along the way. However, 
uh, expect that one to be short, sharp, and to the point. Because with that many issues in that movie, uh, otherwise it could go for, that could be a six-hour podcast, and I'm not interested in recording that. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, well, uh, guys, I think at this point, we're just chatting. And as much we as are. I could literally just talk to Jared, literally all day long, um, I think we do need to probably uh, pull this to a close. Uh, again, Jared, I think we've uh, spruiked um, your cast quite a lot. Definitely. But um, what is your sales site, again, if folks want to see your wares? Uh, the Hamilton and Burke comic book, uh, The Werewolf Story, is rad. Um, I'm looking forward to the Frankenstein book in a big way. So uh, tell us oh, where man. they can find it. Okay, you can find my stuff at theyardsaleartist.bigcartel.com. Again, that's theyardsaleartist.bigcartel.com. Mm-hmm. And, of course, check me out on social media. Is at Yard Sale Artist. You can see all the stuff I'm doing. And uh, and if you see something you like and you say, I want it, then tell me you want it. And I'll either sell it to you or if it's already sold, I'll draw you a new one. Nice. Oh, I love it, man. Now, I did I cut you off there? Were you going to say something about the Frankenstein book? No, 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 no. I except that uh, I'm trying to get it out. I made a foolish error in deciding to ink four books at once, so everything had tremendous slowdown. But I'm starting to clear the decks, which means it's going to start rolling faster and faster and faster. And my penciler Nate Niles is just about done. It's 48 pages long, so that's a lot of pencils. And Nate is. is just about done. I think he's just a handful of pencils away from finishing it. And then, you know, from there it's just ink, color, and uh, and lettering. So we're on our way. Uh, not as fast as I'd like, but. Fingers crossed for maybe a holiday release. Looking for it around Christmas. I'm really hoping to make a Christmas release. Oh, that'll be awesome. That'll be perfect under the tree. There you go. You know, in case you need a little bit of Frankenstein's monster and slinging six guns in in old Mexico. Pretty sure my wife needs that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty sure she doesn't, but I'm pretty sure I do. So. (laughs) <laughs> thanks for letting me pimp it man yeah no worries brother no worries hey uh guys and thank you very much for listening um uh, given the all over the place nature of this i hope you did enjoy it uh it was a little uh off the hip this afternoon uh but <laughs> that's how we do it <laughs> amen to that but uh oh, seriously thank you so much for listening um we have a blast recording these and uh, it's just a chance to catch up with friends and have a chat um if you have any feedback for the show, I haven't said this in a while. Um, the Where you can find the show has actually changed slightly. Um, a lot of people said that they were having trouble finding Cast Dice on Facebook um, because it had a slightly different name. Um, so I've changed the Facebook group to just be Cast Dice. Um, you can just find C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E. If you go to that Facebook page and message it, you will get me directly. Um, if you have feedback about this episode or any other, or, you know, there are things that you would like us to talk about or things that you'd never like us to talk about again, uh, (laughs) please seriously message. Um, there have been a lot of really, uh, fantastic comments coming in. Um, a lot of feedback about the GI Joe, uh, homebrew bolt action rules that I've been working on have come through that. Uh, and if you are looking for that link, uh, by the time this goes to air, it should be up and out. Um, if you go to the Cast Dice page, you will find a share link to it um, if you want to read that. But uh, before anything else, uh, look for more gaming content from the podcast uh, next week. We will be back possibly this week, uh, depending on guest availability. And in the coming weeks, we do have a lot of great stuff planned. Um, given the timing of it all, I don't want to say what's next because it may shift. 
Anyway, again, we're thank- doing Zulu. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> Damn it. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure I, I need to find the time when my wife's not going to watch it because I'm pretty sure she doesn't want to watch Michael King. Anyway, um, but ladies and gentlemen, while you are listening, uh, I hope that you've had a good time. But when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your beverages are extraordinarily cold. I hope your dice are rolling hot. But more than anything else, whether you are watching the movies that we love or you are playing the games that we love, I hope you are having fun. Good night. Bye, everybody. And the terrible